Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. They say the grass is always greener on the other side. If that's true, how do we get there? If that's true, I don't know, build a bridge to get to the other side? Just water your own damn grass and make it green. Jump over the fence, I guess. <laughs> no, uh, I don't think you're supposed to. There's always be someone better or someone more successful, someone richer, always. They say the grass is always greener on the other side. If that's true, how do we get there? Hard work and hustling. Well, it's not hard to get to the other side. I feel like the issue is, will then the grass on the previous side be greener? In which case, uh, you didn't really get to the other side in the first place. We need a hose. They say the grass is always greener on the other side. If that's true, how do we get there? Uh, gratitude. G, 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 take me away. G, 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 take me today. fall here in New York, so I thought I'd play some somber music. This episode, we have our first musical guest, musician Jason Trachtenberg from the band The Trachtenberg Family Slideshow Players. Now, they were everywhere in the mid-2000s, everywhere. Every piece of press you saw, they were in it. And they got to play on Conan. They were the first unsigned band to play on Conan. Pretty cool. They are a family band. It's Jason, our guest, his wife, and their daughter. And she was maybe around nine years old, something around there, playing drums, singing backup. And they got in a car, and they traveled around the country playing music every night as a family. So uh, we're going to hear lots of stories and uh, lots of life lessons. So before we get to the conversation, I thought I'd play a song of theirs. It's the first song off the album, Lost and Found. I feel like a regular DJ now. Ha! All right, it's the first song off of that album. This is the Trachtenberg Family Slideshow Players. This was a delightful conversation with Jason. Good time. A good time. Play it. Who, me? Yeah. What do you mean? Oh. What? Right. 
That's just me here. Jason Trachtenberg, thank you for being here. My pleasure. Thank you. I was thinking that we would start at the end, which right, is we'll also the beginning. I'll see you guys later then, okay? <laughs> that was a good, good job. Thank you. Yeah. That was quick. Quickest podcast ever. Mm. But when we met, first of all, we met in a really cool way. But when we met, you were talking about how the whole experience you had, and you guys got so much press. Like, you guys were everywhere. You performed on Conan. You did all this kinds of amazing stuff that we'll get to. But I thought it would be cool to start at the end because when we met the other night, you were telling me how the whole experience humbled you. And I was wondering if you'd kind of delve into that sure. some more. For, 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 those of you, for those of you out there who don't know what the whole experience is, uh, let, let me quickly refresh sure. everyone's memory. Um, I was in a band called the Trachtenberg Family Slideshow Players. It was an authentic family vaudeville band mother father daughter i played the role of the father but it was real i was the father it wasn't a role it was life it wasn't a band it was a band it was life it was the same that was the thing it was real it was a real reality it was a real representation it was your real life it was uh, exactly and how we lived it which was thrift store chic Mm -hmm. t s c thrift store chic Everything we get is from thrift stores, especially which is so popular now. Also, we lived out in the Pacific Northwest in Seattle mm-hmm. at the time. So the estate sale culture uh, was, 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 was a predominant force. In other words, you know, it's, 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 it was more fashionable. It was more affordable. Win, win. Right. And it's just the way, it was the way we went. You know, plus, I mean, just, just between all of us here right now, we had more of an affinity towards the 60s and 70s anyway. I mean, once, once Reagan came in, uh, I think all sense of style and uh, respect for self and country uh, pretty much vanished um, I actually remember on that date that Ra- Ronald Reagan was inaugurated, I became a thousand percent straight as well too. There, there, was, there was no, <laughs> there was no deviancy of any reality. I was eleven years old, and it was like, it was, it was like joining this self-induced army. Are you saying Ronald Reagan made you heterosexual? That is correct. Okay, that is, is correct. that an exclusive? No, I've, I've said that before, <laughs> but, it, but, it, but it's been a while, and and. Uh, and hopefully someone's just going to run with that because I think, yeah. I, think, I think that's entertainment gold right there. But I remember what happened. I was, I was going off to seventh grade and all of a sudden my father had a can of hairspray and I parted my hair right there and pushed it to the side and that was it. <laughs> Heterosexual. Heterosexual hairspray. So that sounds like an indie band. Yeah. Um, so, but, but, but we are digressing to indie say the glam. least. Those were the days. Mm-hmm. So, okay. So we had a family band. And that's something Good. I do want to talk to you about because oh, you have an excellent sense of style. Like I was looking at uh, a lot of your photographs and some of them were just amazing and beautiful and totally artistic. If, but that's, that's going to be part of the conversation because I do want to talk to you because music, 
is a lot of style where comedy is a lot of substance. You know, you deal with style and comedy, mm -hmm. but you do deal with a lot of substance. And music, it really spans a gamut. I mean, you can have a really, you know, uh, Berkeley school trained musician and their music could be horrible. Then you could have someone that's never picked up an instrument before bang it in a certain way and wear a cool outfit and really make a mark on the generation. Similarly, we have to ask the question is, what is... Um, you said you said the music of the Berkeley College student was was what? Well, he's a, he, that person would come out an amazing musician and might have a lot of uh, substance to the way they play their instrument. Right. But then someone can play the same instrument with so much style and touch people way more. Right. I, I guess um, um, what I was saying is like um, is that any kind of music is subjective. A good song, bad song, maybe someone would like the Berkeley music guy. Maybe right. someone would, wouldn't like the bang on the can anti-folker. Right. You know, it, it depends where they come from. Someone, maybe, someone might like this sweater. S someone might hate it. But, but, but style is probably less subjective than, than art, than, than music. Because um, you know, good song, bad song, I really don't know anymore because um, I hear things in the supermarket and I, I, I instinctively want to say, well, this is, this is, you know, this is schlock. Right. You know? But then... There it is. It's ubiquitous. You hear it everywhere. So who's making this decision besides, you know, some, some little businessman running around? It is and it isn't because then you have songs that are just super catchy. Uh, a band like the Beatles, for example, they, most people would agree, wow, that's a great song. That's a melody I can just sing. The Beatles set the standard very high. And, that, and actually, it's, if we could just go into that for a minute. <laughs> oh, my God. This is tangent number three. <laughs> uh, I, I, thank, I, I challenge anyone listening to this right now to keep up with us, all right? Because this is going to go every which way, north, south, east, and west at this the same will, time. You'll have to have a workbook with it. Mm -hmm. You need a manual for this interview. Mm -hmm. But let, let's, let's stay focused. <laughs> keep let's me focused, go. please. Yeah. Okay. Because it's up to you. you. You did have this whole experience where you guys toured, you opened for big bands, you were on Conan, you, you, so much success uh, for a band doing something very unique. And you toured all over the country, all over the world? Sure, all over the English-speaking world. And you made good money. I mean, by all, by all measurements, you guys were very successful. We were riding a very high wave of being part of the machinery, the machinery, the machinery that is so-called indie rock music, which is also now mainstream rock at the same time. And, and yeah. in the early 2000s, there, there was that bridge that, w that was being crossed, and now it's, now, it's, now it's sunk. Okay, that's okay. So from um, around, when did it start for you guys? It, we started the concept of the Trachtenberg Family Slideshow Players in the year 2000. So it kind of has a numerical perfection to it as well, mm -hmm. too. I was a so-called struggling singer-songwriter up to that point. No mm -hmm. one would come to my shows except my wife and a couple of you know loyal friends. And, and it, this went on for... 10 years. Um, and then my wife, Tina, who actually, if I could, be, before we go any further, uh, she is responsible for the style element of the band. Oh, great. She changed me from, you know, uh, Mr. You know, Mr. Mr. Austin, Texas, you know, sloppy pants to, uh, you know, uh, more, more. She dressed you? She, she, she did. She, she was, she, I should say she actually, she guided me in that direction. Yeah. As to what, as to what, as to what the possibilities were. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and it's it a band sorry. with you, your wife, and your daughter. And at the time, she was when she started with playing with you guys. She was six. Our daughter was six years old at the time. Okay. And fortunately, there was a drum school right up the street called Seattle Drum School. Mm -hmm. And the, her teacher was Steve Smith. The drum school is still there. And so we we went to the drum school. And said, you know, how old can a child be before they start taking drum lessons? Oh, you know, how old's your child? Six. Oh, four. Okay, great. So 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 she got in. She learned the basic beat of rock and roll, which is uh, for, for those of you listening at home. Boom, ba. Boom, boom, ba, boom, ba, do, 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 boom, ba, 
boom, boom, which bah. is already more complex than every ACDC song. <laughs> Don't get me started about ACDC. <laughs> oh my God. I, I, I've got this oh, too late. Okay. So yeah, between ACDC and the Ramones, I, I almost uh, just decided just to just quit show business and say, how can they get away with that? It's a crime. Speaking of crimes, you ready for this for another something else you're not going to hear anywhere else? And we'll get back to everything momentarily. Is this okay? This is, is a ground. This is an exclusive. This okay. wasn't exclusive because yeah. I, I owe you one from last time. This is exclusive. You ready for this one? John Fogarty's business manager, you know, the, the one who famously, you know, screwed him over. Yeah. With his publishing. Yeah. Yes. I, I, here we go. John Fogarty's business manager should sue John Fogarty for making him work with such average material and taking it as far as he did. Are you saying Credence Clearwater is average? Average. Okay. Average, and, and the fact that they reached such high levels. Mm-hmm. If the fact, if there was corruption going on on the take, which made them enable them to become the band that they were, you know, because it's all, you know, it's, it's all a bit of a game. And and if the if the business person who who defined that corruption and obviously was on the take on it was responsible for making them that way, he should get a hundred percent. Yeah, well, that's subjective. I it, mean, it, it's subjective. I think what what Credence Clearwater really touched Americans in particular is because they really had that Bruce Springsteen blue collar kind of grit to them. Uh, that's that's what Bob Dylan's there for. I don't need that. You know, it's just I'm saying rock and roll would have been fine with or without them. And the fact that John Fogerty was even able to, you know, is, isn't you know working a regular job like everyone else, uh, is, is is really need to be examined. And 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 people, you know, he oh poor little John Fogerty, he got he got screwed over, you know. And and meanwhile, yeah, he's thousands, not complaining. He he he's not. But somehow, you know, that, that's what he's known for. He's known more for that than for his average three chord songs. And right. I'll right. take him on right now. Seriously, bring, <laughs> bring him on. Bring there him on. Here we go, John Fogerty. You heard it here first. Email. I'll, take, I'll take you on in front of your own audience, song for song. Okay? <laughs> Just saying. All right. Let's book the garden and let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. He the seems song like, off. As an aside, though, he does seem like a decent human being. And actually, that's even more important than being a decent songwriter. Because Which brings us back to the first question. Oh, my God. So, were you, you you're saying this whole experience made you feel humility and it humbled you. Right. Were you a jerk before that? I, as, I, I was. You I were. Was, and thank you for asking the question. Okay. As, as, as each level of our band gravitated to the next level you know from from coffee shop to 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 bigger coffee shop to to small folk club to medium folk club to small rock club to medium rock club to to big rock club to small um you know um you know bowery ballroom for those of you you know who know 500 seat places um to opening up to for larger bands like they might be giants uh the polyphonic spree Uh you know to to doing uh the bonnaroo festival sharing the stage with johnny cash right legends Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. Um, catering the, the whole thing. Yeah. Um, it, it's. I took for granted that I was entitled to have this sort of success and didn't have to work a day job. Like, well, I'll never have to work a day job because I've got these chord patterns. I've got these chord structures. And then, and then when people you started, thought it was going to last forever. Sure, exactly. And then when people started agreeing with us, yes, you do have something good. Oh, okay, here's a, here's a check for for here's a big fat check for five thousand dollars for 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 forty five minutes. Oh, well, I'm entitled to that because I paid my dues. You know, and, and, and the musician who, who, who's still struggling, well, they obviously aren't as good as me. So there's, and so I'd go into the club saying, doodly doodly dee, look at me, you know, I'm up here, you know, and you're tending bar. And that just means I'm about, and, 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 and I thought, and it really, it, 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 it permeated itself. It, it, it thank you. It, it, it did. And I didn't, I started looking out for other people and I started, I started, I lost, I lost empathy. Uh, for other artists, mm-hmm. and because I thought, oh, look at my struggle. You know, my, my, I was I was doing the t- I took ten years and and to, to get to this point, and I've earned this. Um, 
and I thought, oh, well, you know, we're entitled to to managers, and we're entitled to bookers, and 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 this 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 is this is you know, of, of course, of course, every of course, you know, people are going to like this record. Of course, there's going to be a, a, a label to put out our record. Of course, there is. You know, oh, you know, I remember when, when the first label uh, put out uh, one of my CDs. I'm like. Oh, I'll never have to worry about you know anyone not liking any of my songs again. Okay, so so let's fast forward to two thousand and eight. So we 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 ran the the gamut as it was, uh, five to six years of nonstop touring, sold out shows in, in London. Uh, dabbled in the off Broadway, off off West End, alternative mm-hmm. comedy scenes, uh, indie rock scenes. I have three bins filled with press, big mm-hmm. bins, you know, the, the 48 gallon ones, right? Yeah. Filled with press. You know, we're on the Pittsburgh Gazette cover, for example. You yeah. know, we're, uh, we, our record reached number 79 on the CMJ charts. Yeah. Um, and, 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 you know, we were the first indie band, the first band without a manager who, who was on, ever appeared on Conan O'Brien, who, who didn't have to go, th- who wasn't through the payola corruption situation. We got on based on our own artistic. Um, so during the height of this success, you felt like you were looking at other people and comparing yourself to them and feeling like... And a sense, a sense of superiority. A sense like, of, okay. Right. And, and, and um, never thinking that, um, oh, well, you know, I don't have to keep nurturing this project. I don't have to keep putting love into it. You know, I don't, I don't have to keep getting better. Uh, to, as a sub- from a subjective point of view, my songwriting started going down, 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 and more average, more average, more average. The lyrics... Or just like you know, uh, just th- th- put it in there, put it in there, finish it up. As you became more aware, the, the bigger of- we got, the 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 the, the, uh, the more average my songwriting got. Right. And and so basically, um, so so we we wrote a, we we wrote a pretty good way. For, but it, but yeah. isn't that a thing? Yeah. I mean, it's a dangerous ground. It's a dangerous territory when you start sure. comparing yourself to other people because it could always go both ways. You could always compare yourself to someone that's better than you. Or there's always someone that's worse off than you. There, there, there always is, and that's a, that's, a, that's a really good perspective as, as well. And, and that's pretty much one of the many lessons I learned post-2008. Mm-hmm. Um, basically what happened was I made a couple of, uh, there were a couple of forks in the road, uh, such as, you know, which manager should we pick, which booker should we pick. And I picked, I picked the one that, that probably wasn't, wasn't the right choice just based on just not being in the moment and just thinking about self-interest kind of things that had nothing to do with just, you know, en- energetic connections and you know, the, the betterment of, of art and, and right. music. And then also, um, similarly, and I, I know this is a, 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 bit of, a bit of a business thing, but, you know, the, the economy crashed yeah. and, and it, it had its effect on our band where it's like people didn't, you know, corporations didn't have money for $5,000, you know, ship, bring the band in on the plane, you know, right. we want to see this fun, you know, it really, it really did dry up. People stopped spending money in general, mm-hmm. yeah. At, for certain, at a certain level, yeah. And, yeah, and we were definitely at that level. And so, there we were, around, uh, you know, with, with no money coming in, we didn't, we didn't save anything, <laughs> needless to say, um, you know, because it, it was a family, keeping a family on the, on the road, you know, it, the, the expenses are, are, you know, we, yeah. we could have done better, but... Ever, to play everyone, devil's advocate, please. just the fact that you maintained a family for those many years is is an accomplishment oh i know well we've well um we we had to you know i guess that that's where my wife and i you know that's that's how we were brought up and you know uh, you, you don't get divorced no matter no matter what is that from a catholic upbringing uh i think it's just more of a generational thing as well too uh, t- tina my wife is catholic mm-hmm. uh for those of you who haven't guessed yet i'm jewish uh-huh. uh, <laughs> really <laughs> um and and just you know and our parents were are, were were together as long as they were were you know, alive. My parents are, are both still alive. And Tina's mom passed away, um, but they they would have still been married had that not been the case. Um, also, especially with a child as well, too. I mean, we're not n- neither of us are going anywhere. It's like I don't care how much we're not getting along. You're not getting n- neither of us are going anywhere. Right? You have that that deep level of commitment with each other where that's never even on the table. Divorce. It, I, I I don't know what you're talking about. 
Don't you guys <laughs> don't even use the word. It's it, we. I mean, I'm. I, I guess we don't. May I ask what is your yes. wife's energy like? Because yours is a lot, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, she uh, is. When, when we would do interviews, they would just. They would just. They wouldn't even let. They wouldn't even um, bother showing up because they knew that I would just you know grab the mic from them and all that stuff. She's gotten a lot better at interviews though. Um, she's a different kind of artist. She's a folk artist. Mm-hmm. She actually is on a bit of a, a wave right now with her art as Mother Pigeon. Um, possibly some of you New York listeners will will, rec- will know the Pigeon Woman, the Pigeon Lady from Washington Square Park and Union Square. She's the lady who sets up with all the soft sculpture felt pigeons. Possibly up to a hundred. Yep. 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 Um, I've seen her. That's your wife. That's my wife. Wow. Yes. That's right. Wowzers. Yeah. If I may. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, and and she recently. So um, it's performance art. She she goes to. I've seen her in Washington Square Park. She she sits. She has a briefcase like an old sixties, seventies, maybe even fifties briefcase, and there's just all these pigeons around, and they look pretty real. Did she make all these pigeons? She did, and that's the whole point. Is it's supposed to be a New York City nature scene? Is that the pigeons that she makes are supposed to confuse. Uh, on oncomers, you know, which of course there's hundred every second in New York City public parks. Yeah. Um, wow, look at that flock of pigeons. I'm getting closer and closer. Oh, they're not moving. And then sometimes there'd be real pigeons uh, interspersed within the flock. You know, just throw some, yeah. seeds, throw some seeds down in the in the in the. That's when I saw her. They were real pigeons yeah, there too. Really, and it's great for kids. Everyone loves it. It's like it really is supposed to uh, make people aware of the nature that is within New York City. Uh, I see this as a really shrewd career move. The pigeons. It's, well, the, the, the thing, as, as I'm sure you know, um, you don't know what's going to happen next in your artistic endeavors. Yeah. And if you do, then that's a problem. Mm-hmm. I love that. Uh, and and, and I, I think your band, your original band, is a, a testament to that. Because probably on paper, no one would have thought this is a good career move. And, and I, Jason, I saw you open for They Might Be Giants maybe 12 years ago. Does that sound at, right around, around that time? At Irving Plaza? Irving Plaza, yeah. And, you know, my friends and I, we didn't know anything about you guys. And we were really taken. Um, and obviously, a They Might Be Giants fan is the perfect audience for you guys. But, uh, yeah, it was, we hadn't seen anything like that before. This was before found footage had become a big thing and before people were getting kind of cutesy with stuff. So it, was, it, it, it took us back because it was different. It was fun. The music was good. You guys were all likable. But, you know, I don't think anyone would have predicted that that would have been a good career move had you and your family not just fallen into it. There was no blueprint for it. Right. Was the thing. There, was, there was nothing else like it ever before it was a new we developed a new art form uh, just pre-internet as well too Mm -hmm. where you had to actually go out to see shows to experience it just before the internet came out so i I think so that was advantageous to the situation whereas let's say we'd come up with a band in 2005 the, the live experience might not have been necessary which begs to ask the bigger question is how much has the internet how much has the uh this the the, now of course the eye the eye hand culture how much has that taken away from not only art but just our whole experience as, as, as humans? And 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 it's it's it seems it seems as if we're, we're really losing losing connection with yeah, this connection. It's, it's still not the same. I, I mean, when you watch a live band play on YouTube, it's not nearly as engaging as being there. Nothing like being at the show. Yeah, it doesn't translate. I think we can say that because we all grew up before the yeah. internet, but yeah. someone growing up in that and maybe you can speak to that because you have a, a daughter who's younger than us who grew up in that world do they even realize that there's a big difference of seeing of having that live experience I would think they don't realize it because yeah. that's all they know because the, the way I would liken it to would be like would be for example we had television and radio mm-hmm. what about 
50 years before it when they didn't have television and radio and they were having the exact same conversation that we are right now. It's like, exactly. oh, these kids with their radios. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we used to actually have to come up with our own songs in our head. Now they just you know, flip on the radio and you, know, you get your Elvis Presley. Yeah, we used to have to read. Now someone's just telling a story on the radio and acting it out. And then television was even you know, a further uh, imagination um, depriver. Yeah. So this is interesting. So your daughter now, when, when you started playing music with her, she was six, and now she's 21. So she's a totally different generation, but yet you're still involved in that same generation because art, art is a young man's game. Right? I mean, at your show the other day, there were people there that were your daughter's age. Oh, it was so embarrassing. <laughs> Especially when, when, the, uh, when the woman who was hosting, who was, everyone's about my age, because we just all look so young. Right. Um, she doesn't realize that I voted for Michael Dukakis. You know? <laughs> little, little, little does she know. Um, but I, I loved her enthusiasm. We actually, so, so just to back up, um, I met Gary uh, and, and, and Erica at a, um, a fundraiser for Bernie Sanders, who, um, if you're listening to this 10 years in the future, uh, is a presidential candidate uh, who will soon be possibly forgotten in the next year. I mean, we're only a year and a couple months out of election cycle now. It's only a year and a couple months away. Yeah, it's still a long time. Oh my gosh. Yeah, yeah. So, 13 so, months. So Bernie Sanders is the Howard Dean of, of, of this election. I, I, I wish him well, but I mean, we're not going to be talking about him come November. So something will happen. I've just seen this too many times before. But he's a progressive candidate. He's actually a socialist. Um, he votes um, with the progressive line about 98% of the time, though, he does back... Uh, big military and big war. And yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. I'm yeah, rooting for him. There's a long but, time to go. Uh, but it was cool how we met because then we're in the car together and we're talking. We have all these mutual uh, friends and experiences. And then you started talking about your band with your daughter. And I immediately said, wait, is your last name Trachtenberg? And I said, and, yes. Yeah. And I was like, oh, my God, you couldn't avoid reading about you guys in that time period. It was, we got so much press. And so we, much press. And, you know, we had a publicist. We didn't have a publicist. It didn't matter. It journalists love us loved mm-hmm. us because it had gave them something to write about we made their job easy exactly and, and I mean, the pictures were great it was it was a, perfect for everyone yeah. it really it really resonated and it was such a such a story so you know, here's something we've never written about before and the fact that um it was gaining popularity in, in the indie rock scene as well too it made it legitimate because if it wasn't then they wouldn't have written about it because they only write about something that, that already has traction so you know the traction leads to the traction there's a the lot of, there's a lot there's a lot a uh, lot to it a lot of style to it a lot of good stuff it, it worked well but how is that affecting you now because you're you have a new mm-hmm. band the pendulum swings you're out there you're still performing music and you must be around a lot of people that are your daughter's age there are certain places I won't go to because I don't want Rachel to hear. Rachel's my daughter. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't. I wouldn't want her to uh, say, have her friends say, "Rachel, I saw your dad in the club the other night." You know, and so it's just a little embarrassing. So I try to hang out with. Um, I try to associate cause, uh, with uh, age-appropriate situations. Although, as you as you mentioned, let's let's talk about the question. Age is a young man's game. Yeah. Age is a young man's game. <laughs> it really, <is. laughs> you couldn't have said it better. Um, it's well. I mean, what, 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 there he goes. So, so what they're looking for? Yes, they're, they're looking for the the twenty one year old you know model type guys and girls to, to be the face of music. Though India has changed that quite a bit. You know, you have bands like um, I can't think of the names. Oh, I wasn't even talking uh, from a career spe- perspective. Um, mm-hmm. Just in general, hanging out and doing your thing and um, feeling uh, like what you're doing is part of the whole scene. I mean, now it's like because you've kind of experienced it from two totally different generations i mean it wouldn't matter if you didn't have your daughter right but having your, your daughter's now experiencing it for the first time and it's all fresh and you've kind of been there done that but you're still doing it in a different way that's the thing and it's you know we didn't we didn't know 
no, no, none of us could, could have known where we were going to be in 2015, back in you know 84, 85, when we were just you know coming into ourselves as teenagers. Um, and you know, it seems so far off in the future, but you know, things have have moved along so quickly since then. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems like the years and decades have no definition anymore, like like they used to. It's like okay, well, you know, the the sixties were like this, and the seventies were like that, and the eighties were you know sort of like that, the nineties were kind of like that. But but then, but then since then, like the last fifteen years, it seems to um, since we've become like this whole internet world, seems to really lacked ca- character and definition. Well, I have a couple theories about that. I think before the internet, uh, scenes would happen in certain places, like Seattle in the early '90s. The whole grunge scene kind of exploded there but the internet has kind of made everything global where things blow up on the internet and it becomes that's the new thing and no one even knows where it came from it's exactly. just everything's global nothing's local and the thing about grunge it was a regional sound it, the, the sound exactly. it came out of the environment the sound came out of you know the the, the moistness of the of the ground and the you get, depression get, of the environment the, the lack of sun it, it, you know uh, black hole sun Mm-hmm. It wasn't an accident that, that they wrote that song. Exactly, it, the sound came from you know the Liverpool. The, the sound came from uh, you know that that was the sound of the uh, San Francisco in the sixties. Yeah, and now it's like you know everyone just goes to Guitar Center and buys the same gear and 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 you know uses the same programs and you know what do you expect? But, but is it also because we're older that we can't see the difference in age? Like for example, like all three of us have probably been dressing in a similar way for the last fifteen years or, or more. Mm-hmm. You might ask your daughter who's twenty one, and she might have a clear distinct difference of how you know 2005 and 2015 is because she knows she was 10 years younger she was still a little girl then she was wearing very different clothing then yeah. so for her there she can see maybe very distinct differences in style and culture over those 10 years i, I think that's a, that's a fair point and she probably can and she'd probably say well i remember in 2007 i used to like flowers this is her talking you know and then mm-hmm. 2009 i like polka dots yeah you know and, and i think there would be um I would, would would say, you know, let, let's 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 come up with a cultural consensus. Mm-hmm. Though, though, even let's say you take someone who's you know older than us, you know, someone who's um, you know in their eighties and who's been through uh, pre rock and roll, remembers you know that maybe even remembers the the big bands of the forties and then fifties, and then Elvis, who's this guy? And then you know, yeah. and you know, what, what is what is this you know Chuck Berry? What what is this what is this you know screaming stuff? And then oh look at those druggies in the sixties, and then oh the seventies, you know everyone's. Uh, well, I think what know. happens as you get older, things start to repeat themselves, and then you know, there's nothing like the first time you experience anything. So the first time you experience it, it really makes an impression. Then you say, oh, that's that again, maybe dressed a little differently. It's 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 true. Um, I'd like to have a more defined culture, mm-hmm. uh, especially now that we can have a uni- we can have a universal culture, and to have that bring information that come alongs with the art, mm-hmm. art formation, right? Yeah. Experiencing ways to make humanity because the world's in a bit of a trouble now. I think I think we, you know even the, even the you know, I don't the, even the, think that. I think the world's always been in trouble. I think every generation has their freak out with the world, and the world's going to end. I agree with that, but there are climate situations going on now that have never happened before in the history of humanity mm-hmm. as far as as far as every year being warmer than the other one more rainfall than ever before records you know every every year being hotter than the year before this is unprecedented stuff and it's, it's it is caused by human uh action and, and this yeah, is, i'm this kind of an eternal optimist because i feel like any man-made problem can be also be man-solved precisely and and that can be solved through art and entertainment but with information Interesting. I like that. That's optimism too. All yeah. right, let's let's uh, go back to let's stay focused, and because I do want to talk about the band. Let's and, do um, it. Yeah. So 
You guys started touring when your daughter Rachel was six, or you, she started playing with you guys? Sure. Like, so we started off, like any other band, with small... Actually, the first show we played was in a little wine shop in Seattle called Kismet. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know what the word Kismet meant at the time. I thought it was just... You know, I'd never heard the word before, but I, I do know what it means. Bad Jew. <laughs> <laughs> what can I tell you? You know, I, um, um, some college. Okay, right. some, that's a check off some college. And then uh, I'm not... Um, Caucasian. Okay. And so, <laughs> and, and so the first two years we spent really building ourselves up, you know, like, you know, like a, you know, from, from the small clubs to the bigger clubs. Mm-hmm. And then around maybe the first year and a half, by 2001, early 2002, we realized we hit the glass ceiling in Seattle. Mm-hmm. Uh, we realized we're, we're, we, we you hadn't toured yet. We hadn't, you know, maybe we did, did North by Northwest, uh, yeah. which was like the, the, the Portland version of South by Southwest. I'm not yeah. sure if they do at the festival anymore. But yeah, we, we maybe went to Portland, but we didn't really tour. And we realized, okay, we, we've, we've hit a certain glass ceiling here in Seattle. Were you guys Seattle. drawing a good crowd? We were selling out places like the Crocodile Cafe, nice. which is a uh, really well-known yeah. venue in Seattle. Say Mercury Lounge level. It's like very, precisely, Mercury Lounge is a perfect mm-hmm. comparison. Um, like, like nothing. Like we'd play there once a month. Um, it was, but, but then we couldn't get to the next level for, 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 for whatever reason, uh, which I was confused about at the time. Mm-hmm. And it's much too much to get into right now. It's, it's, it's a little embarrassing, but I, I thought there was a... Um, what was it? Okay. I thought there was a... And it was completely incorrect, correct, and I, I have yet to make amends with the situation, but I thought that there was a... Uh, Kurt Cobain's spirit was dooming you. <laughs> well, I, I, I had a problem with indie rock and the indie culture. I mean, I, I, yeah. I, felt, I, felt it was, I felt it dumbed things down. Mm-hmm. You know, although I've since become... I've since really have gained, gained a lot of respect for Kurt Cobain uh, as as an artist and and um, a, a more of a human being than necessarily as a, as a songwriter. Uh-huh. You know, um, but what was keeping you guys? I felt it was a bit of a. I thought I thought people didn't like my politics, right? What, what your, was politics part of the? It's all it was. It was really yeah a- anti corporate. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, which I mean, that's, that's such a big, it's an easy th- word to throw around right now, but this, this was, you know, 15 years ago. Before all the conglomerates, Bef- all the merging. I, I thought they um, also thought maybe, you know, I'm just like, you know, oh, we, we don't want Woody Allen, you know, running the music scene or whatever, right? You know, so I, thought, I, thought, I thought they didn't want like, a, like an outsider coming into Seattle. You thought they'd all conspired against the New York Jew from taking over the Seattle indie music scene? I, I, in so many words, I, I misled myself into thinking that. Right. And, and I, I just, and now, you know, if any of these people are listening, like, like John Richards from uh, uh, KEXP, you know, I, I did some, I said some really bad things about them and it's just, it all got printed in this newspaper called The Stranger. Yeah. Which is kind of like the Seattle Village Voice of Weekly, sorts. yeah. Yeah, Dan Savage got to start there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just, I just, just kind of just went off the wrong it, it just was, was, was an ill-conceived situation. I, I was trying to like expose this whole scandal that didn't exist. Do you remember the quote that they quoted you said? I said that John Richards is the devil or something like that. Okay. Um, why? But because of my own... And this is, this is, this is getting back to the, what we were talking about a few minutes ago, uh-huh. which is where the whole self-annihilation began. Right, where it's like I thought the world needed to revolve around me, and if someone didn't like my band, well, then they had to get out of the way, and they were the problem. Meanwhile, instead of looking at, at like from an artistically global, inclusive point of view, where there's room enough for everyone in the art field, so I had built up all of this pretty bad energy around the fact that you know we we can't get to the next level in in it was called like the, like the um is it the Moore Theater is that, is that is that here at Seattle right the Moore you, Theater you never okay so that's kind of like the Irving Plaza right like the next the next level up okay um we just couldn't get in there even though. We were following following this this trajectory of bands that w- that would always like you know like Death Cab for Cutie and you know um, Built to Spill and bands you know Northwest yeah. bands like that yeah. who you know Harvey Danger you know and then then, then they'd, they'd get to play the bigger venues and then, then they'd have a record out and all all bands back in Seattle in the late in the in the 
uh, late '90s, early early O's, were all getting you know picked up by by labels and getting yeah. records out. It was you know it was, huge, it was a big industry, mm-hmm. but this for some reason they they wouldn't return my phone calls, and we even recorded a, a really strong first record with mm-hmm. uh, a lot of Seattle luminaries um, on the record, including members of the presidents of the United States of America, mm-hmm. uh, Fastbacks, Posies, various uh, recorded in the, in the right studio where, where you know all the all the all they recorded. I, I used the guy from. Uh, Duff McKagan's guitar nice. from, uh, from Guns N' Roses. I used his good, you know. Yeah. Just, it, it was, it was, you were doing all the steps you thought were necessary yes, to and, go to the next level. And we just couldn't do it. So then I, I came up with this theory that was just off. I mean, it's just like, it's just, it, 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 was, it, wasn't, it wasn't personal. It's just, yeah. it's just like, it just wasn't, wasn't it, they didn't know what to do with this band. And, and I, I just needed to accept that. Right. You know, we, we weren't, we weren't there, there was no precedent for having a, a family, you know, twee indie band, you know, a you know, we, we couldn't even get played on the local show, right? There, there was like uh-huh. a local radio show, and but they would just do like this indie kind of music that our music didn't sound like like that. And so I figured we got to get out of this town, right? We're, we're, we're not getting we're not, we're not getting where, where I want to go because you know this one I'm thirty thirty one years old, yeah. and of course I think unfortunately we're hardwired to think well I don't make it by twenty three or twenty four, then you know, but right. it, it, it doesn't work like that. Just let everyone know. Isn't that an interesting fine. way to measure it? I mean, all this stuff was going on. And now looking back, you're, you're so clear about it. You're like, oh, it was just, I had bad energy about it. Completely. And, and I've matured. And because that's a great way to measure it. I mean, yeah. at the time, it was probably so nuanced and all this stuff going on. But now you could look back and so it's just pretty black and white. It's Good energy, bad energy. You had bad energy about bad, it. Bad, bad. And, yeah. and, and my wife tried to control it and, and she knew it too. But um, what, what, she can only do so much. And, and so with that, with, with that ball of bed energy, yeah. we packed everything into a 1983 uh, Ford Econoline uh, 100 series van uh, and, and, um, and packed everything in that we had and, and drove to New York City. And how old is uh, your daughter Rachel at this, this point? Is, this is 2002. So she uh, was pr- uh, approximately nine years okay. old at this point. Um, I was uh, 32. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Tina was 37. Okay. And so, so we, 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 just, we, we landed in New York. And, and your daughter Rachel's playing drums. She was, she, yeah. For, for those of you not familiar, my, my daughter was on drums. Yeah, and she was a good drummer. I was on vocals, keyboards, and acoustic guitar. I watched on YouTube, uh, you guys, your Conan uh, performance. I was on piano on, on that. Yeah, yeah, and, and uh, your daughter's playing drums so and singing. Drums. Yeah, so she would do background vocals. Really and then, good. And but then the kicker was that my wife would run a slide projector. Right. She was the first time a slide projector has ever been used as an instrument in, in rock and roll history. There were a lot of firsts in this band. Yeah, there should be a lot of firsts in every band. I, I, I wish everyone, you know. Well, that that found uh, found what do they call it? That's found not found, footage. Found found art. Found, found footage. art. Yeah, yeah. Found footage. It, it became a big movement. We, we, you know, like with Found Magazine and, and Dave, Davey Roth, Rothbart, I think his name. Mm-hmm. Um, so it became a pretty big thing at the time, and we definitely wrote. wrote I think we were pioneers in, in that field. We, cool. we, we we did make the history books as far as that goes. Nice. Uh, the alternative history books. It's funny because uh, when I was in college, my uh, drummer Tom, he would go and. He would dumpster dive all the time, yeah. and he found back when there were photo places, he would always bring back boxes of strangers' photos, and we would just go through them, and he'd make collages out of them or whatever. And I was dating this girl, Carla, at the time that was estranged with her mother. She didn't really talk to her mother. And we're just hanging out in my apartment. We're going through these photos, and sure enough, she sees a picture of her mother. And the, her, it's her mom just singing in a choir, and she's looking, and it just... She hadn't seen or spoken to her mom in a long time. And what are the odds? One in 500 million. It's amazing, right? Did anyone ever see anyone on on the slideshow when you were performing that, hey... I know that guy. That's my uncle. That's my ex. We, we, we would often do a Q and A session mm-hmm. in the in the middle of every show, just to pretty much just give, give you know everyone like an auditory 
break, um, just to break up the show. And that was that was a really uh, common question that was asked. The 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 answer is um, probably not, although a couple of people have made uh, unsubstantiated claims. Of, oh, that's my uncle. We would do this thing. We, there was a slides taken from a McDonald's internal marketing <laughs> corporate meeting <laughs> that I got by the most accidental means ever. Is from June of 1977. And it was, it was the, I learned a lot about the inner workings of the McDonald's Corporation come the late 70s. They were facing a lot of competition from the likes of Burger King, Wendy's, Sambo's, Long John Silver's. And so they would have these corporate meetings, and it was the, the slide presentations were, were the way they would do it. So they would gather up all the executives, and the executives would give these quotes, and they'd have their picture on there. I saw the slides. Like, I believe we need to up our, we need to get our, you know, P's and L's, you know, which, which stands for profits and losses, or pickles and lettuce, depending on, on a, <laughs> which, which, uh, which, which way you're looking at it. And, you know, we need, and, was, and so we would turn those big quotes into songs, word for word, and do, do, do the songs. And people would see the slides and could follow along with, with the words, and you know, what, what will the corporation do? Ed Schmidt, Ed Schmidt did the quote. You know, we need more advertising <laughs> to carry our weight. 1978, you know, something like that. And it was all funny because they were all wearing these 70s blazers and these big collars right. and these executives. And, and, and you know, I would just make jokes and they'd have these guys with these mustaches. Like, you know, is he a porn star or an, or an executive? Because the 70s didn't make a difference. It was all the same, right? Those were the 70s. So it was a very powerful presentation. Yeah. And so we did that at the TED conference, actually. The, the very early, uh, oh, was, wow. the second TED conference. And, uh, what was the theme of that TED conference? I, I think it was pre-theme. It was it was still it was so early on in the thing mm-hmm. in the concept. It was out in um, out of side of Monterey, California, and I do remember that Goldie Hawn was sitting in the front row. Wow! And that was kind of nerve-wracking. And then and then um, Matt Groening was in the back row. Cool. And wow. so you don't you don't forget things like that. So what were you what were you showing for the TED conference? Just well, found footage kind of thing. We did our we did our, our marketing uh, McDonald's presentation. Okay. They, they give you like ten minutes or so. Uh-huh. Um, then I remember that um. Oh, who's that doctor? He's a really, really well-known doctor, TV doctor. He was there, and they had a free, they had a free Starbucks, and he never drinks coffee, and it was, he gave a memorable presentation, to say the least. <laughs> a wired one? <laughs> it wasn't Dr. Oz, but some, someone at that level. Okay, let's go back. You're in the car. You left Seattle. Thank you. He's good. He's good. You're yeah. all, you're all in the does. car. You're so driving back to we're, New York. We're driving. We, we, did, we did the ride. Looking to break through that glass ceiling. Right. <laughs> um, and so we came into New York, even though, even though it was under odd energetic pretenses mm-hmm. you know we're, you know of, of complete misinformation and and self-importance um and that could be tricky for for a band or any artist or even a business person because you've already established your roots you've made some connections now you're going to new york and you're pretty much starting over kind of we, we were and we weren't um if i could go back a little further mm-hmm. i was in my in my very early like bob dylan years yeah which was 19- before the band before the band which was 1988 to 1991, when I moved here as uh, from 19 years old uh, to go to the City College of New York, Baruch, um, which was the beginning and end, end of my college career. And your Judaism. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> um, so, um, the, the, um, but, but I would still believe that, you know, that you could come to New York City, go to Greenwich Village, go to the folk clubs, and, you know, because, they're, they're, you know, Suzanne Vega, Tracy Chapman, there were still acts that were coming out of, out of yeah. New York at that time. It seemed, yeah. it seemed like a legitimate thing to do. And, of course, my songs were just so good that, of course, I'll be able to, they, they will see me through. Um, I was being facetious. They, they needed a lot of work at the time. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so I moved here at 19 years old, uh, to 1988, 89, to try and be the next Bob Dylan, the next, uh, and of course, I was maybe more of the next Jim Croce, maybe, or the next, uh, <laughs> or maybe you know, the next Harry Chapin. I was, I was kind of more in, more in that direction. Right. Um, and so... I still did, I did make a lot of friends because I, I I am good at making friends, and so a lot of the friends that I had made back then 
were still here, and then we, then we left New York for ten years to move to Seattle. So they were further along. I wouldn't go that far, but but, <laughs> but, but, but they were they were still here, and they kind of helped us hook us up with an apartment when we, when we got here. Right you know, back in the East Village, you had some connections. We had some connections, and that really helped too. Yeah. Um, and then we had a residency just because we our, our friend slash manager Beth, um, who wasn't really like a regular music manager, but she was really supportive out in Seattle, helped us get a residency at this club called Fez, mm-hmm. uh, which was a, a kind of a cabaret space. And I didn't even know anything about, you know, uh, gay culture or cabaret. It just seemed like it was a place that returned our phone call. And so, <laughs> so uh, back when people used phones. And, and, and so we, all of a sudden, just, just out of, because, because we had so much press from The Stranger, which is, which is well-known as a, as a gay publication, you uh-huh. know, it, it, it's it, I'm just because it, it it's, it's gay friendly. Yeah, you know, it, even it, though it's the Seattle Weekly yeah, paper, it, it, it was very gay friendly. You know, like they would write about Hedwig. You know, years before anyone even heard yeah. about. It. You know, they, it was all about the culture and the clubs and all that. And, but as well as being like art and entertainment, which which. Um, but because we had all this press from the stranger, like, oh, well, that's that's legitimate for us. So right. well, let's we, we we trust in that, and they were correct. So we we, we booked a month long residency at Fez, sold out every single show. And, wow. and lines going around the block, and of course that's that's when you start getting in your head, like, well, of course the lines are going around the block for me. Excuse me, coming through, coming through. Lines going, no, excuse me, I'm the star, you know, coming through. Excuse me. You weren't shocked at all that you guys were selling out shows. Well, it, it was it was a natural progression. We had made. No, I was. I, my, my whole motto was no backwards progress. No backwards progress. Right. Every show has to be bigger, or at least better, or at least sort of bigger than than, than the one before. But how did people here know, uh, even know about you guys? If the, all the press you got was just local to the Northwest. Um, Fez had a really good internal marketing mechanism, and then also like the Village Voice and Time Out New York got behind it really quickly as well too. Okay. Uh, blurbs, blogs, articles, both in the Voice and Time Out New York, right. New York Press. Um, so it was exactly what you drove out here to do within within a, within a, a, a day, and amazing. And, and so, as, and of course, I was like the, the other side of me. Was, of course, that's the way it is. Of course, that's the way it is. And so we start. We got on a roll. Then we started making inroads into the alternative comedy scene at this club called Rafifi, mm-hmm. uh, which is in the East Village on 11th Street next to Venero's Bakery, which was always a little dangerous uh, for my wife and daughter <laughs> before before the Rafifi shows because there were those. Uh, Chocolate lobsters. It's like chocolate lobsters. Like, oh my God, I never thought I'd be saying chocolate lobster in my life. There it is again. Um, I do avoid sugar, and, and I, I think it's a. I, when I advise everyone to do what they need to do, but for me, avoiding sugar really, really helps. Uh, okay. Yeah. I'm not an angel, but, but sugar uh, is, is the is, devil. Oh my God. It's the white devil, <laughs> as Malcolm X would say. Um, and so we, but then through Rafifi, Rafifi had, had a lot of writers from Conan O'Brien who worked there. Yeah, yeah, Rafifi in the comedy world is pretty legendary at this point. You must have seen all kinds of people come sure. through there. Sure, Todd Barry, mm-hmm. Reggie Watts, David Cross, Janine Garofalo, and they all just like, uh, Dimitri Martin, mm-hmm. they, they all just became enamored with us and us them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and of course we had the, the, the cute factor with Rachel, we had the, 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 the chic indie factor, you know, the style factor. It was all working on a lot of levels. The so, press was behind us. So you were performing your music in comedy club as well. Correct. Because it, it was, as my wife always says, you know, what, what I do is comedy. Right. Uh, you know, it's, it's it, with, with some songs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that's great because it's cross genre. Completely. Yeah. Completely. And I'll fly to the Concords as well, too. You know, right. who, who also did a good job. I can't tell if they're music or comedy. They're both. They, they do both right. supremely well. Yeah. Um, and so we just had such momentum and such internal drive that we are going to get on the Conan O'Brien show. We are going to do it. Right. We just say, we just His said it. His show was the focus over Letterman or whatever. Because well, we, we knew it was accessible because the, there were writers 
yeah, Rafifi, who were now our friends. Right. And then they just started talking us up to this Frank Riley with, with the music booker. Mm-hmm. And they would just start, start talking to us. Like, Frank's got to see you. Frank's got to see you. And then it just got to a point where it's like, okay, we give up. You're, you're in. <laughs> you guys have bugged us enough. You're in. And, and TV was really tricky. You know, they go, the song has to be exactly you know three minutes and 24 seconds they go can you send us a version of it I'm like sure so I send them a version they go uh, excuse me jason this song is 402 mm-hmm. we, 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 do you want to be on the show or not i'm like oh, oh, oh. i remember we were, we were in pittsburgh opening up for they might be giants on the day when i got this phone call saying we're gonna take you off the show if that song's 402 i'm like guys just i'll just make it 324 i'm gonna just right. take out the last verse whatever yeah jeez oh my god it's like, yeah it's like that for stand-up too it has to be pretty much exact down to the yeah, uh, just, just let me know what you want and you they, know? Go, they comb over every joke and everything of course it was it was it was, it was to the notes yeah i'll take out a verse jeez you know i'll, I'll take out the instrumental no, no biggie i'll make it 324 or whatever you want yeah um and so the date came and it was january 3rd 2003 and it was the conan o'brien show uh the uh who was the other guest oh uh, the other guests were, 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 were people who everyone would know, but I can't, I can't remember because they were like movie, movie people. <laughs> so, sorry about that. Um, but, but, but it was, it was other, other all-star guests on as well too. Yeah. And we, we did, we did the show and I was very, very nervous during the introduction. I remember for the introduction, I said, for our next song, we'd like to do it for our next song. That was our first song. Right? Uh-huh. So, so, so the first thing I said on TV was completely misleading, but of course that's the power of television. If I'm not going to mislead you, then what's the point? Right. Well, yeah. well okay. for the band, it was the next song for the audience. It was the first the audience. comes yeah. first. You, yeah. you guys have played other songs. And of course, <laughs> and of course the overriding theme of this interview was, was my, was my s- selfishness and, and that, and that, and which was going to lead to where we're going to get, go with the story momentarily. Uh-huh. Okay. Okay. And, we did really good. I mean, we, we note for note, it was perfect. You don't you don't get a second chance. I kept thinking, oh, God, I can't because if you mess it up, this is no time to do it again. So we, right. we we just can't mess it up, and we didn't play it really well. My intro was a little shaky just because I, th- I think I started getting a little when, when he held up our CD, you know, that part. Yeah. And I said, Oh my God, like I've been working for this. I've been. This is it. You've for made thirty it. This years. Is... We've made it. I've, this is what I've been dreaming about. He held up, he held up our handmade CD that I cut the cover out of on a construction paper. Wow. Yeah, it was before Bar None released our, our official CD. Mm-hmm. Um, and as and like, I, I remember yeah. from watching it on YouTube, it is kind of odd because you're on this huge uh, major show, and you guys are playing Sidewalk Cafe, like kind of local. <laughs> you know, we, we 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 were never scared to to to, to that. It's like I'll, I'll never lose my my open mic roots, you right? Know, you know, especially now. <laughs> I mean, I lost them for a couple of years there, but well, it's, it's kind of, it's very punk rock kind of. It, it was, and 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 I think that's the thing about punk rock. It is about the aesthetic and not about the music. Thank right. God. <laughs> well, that's something also I've been thinking uh, a lot about: is style versus substance, that kind of thing. Of course, and and attitude, uh, you know, versus versus show or whatever. Like, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it, and 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 thoughts versus action mm-hmm. as well too. You, you, your thinking is even more powerful than, than your action. So yeah. so from Conan O'Brien, the next day, you know, our website exploded. We got we're getting phone calls from all these high powered bookers, and that's when I really got my head. F- filled up. We got. We, I remember famously, we got a call from Brian Swanson at Monterey Peninsula, Ar- Peninsula Artist, a very high-level booker. Uh-huh. I, I didn't know who he was. So, I, so Tina's talking to him on the phone, and I said, "Oh, tell him to take a number." That's a direct quote. Take a number. Wow. Wow. I know. Yeah. And 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 stuff like that, where like you know, I would do um, interviews. But in a way, can't that also work to your advantage? Some people react to that. It's that classic dynamic of push pull. Only if you have. A mechanism behind you only mm-hmm. if you have a powerful manager like an albert grossman or a colonel tom right. or a brian epstein we didn't have that right right th- th- so they were willing to call your bluff <laughs> exactly and so so um fortunately brian did call back and and so we had an amazing booker brian for a while then we had another booker uh from the agency group as well too yeah but then when the attendance starts going down 
the booker doesn't want to work with you anymore. Sure. It's, they're not there. You know, Brian, Brian would keep saying, Jason, I'm not your manager. You know, right. I, I book shows, you know, I can't really help you with certain things. He, he would do mm-hmm. what he could. And then, and then by the time we got to the second booker, you know, you know, they'd, they'd get these big guarantees. We'd go to the clubs, the clubs wouldn't fill up. And, and the, 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 the club bookers would tell them, tell the, um, tell the, you know, our booker, like, you know, off in private conversation, you know, we can't work with these people anymore. They're yeah, losing we're money. We're losing money on you. Yeah. And I would say, you know, and I would go and say, you know, my, my two mottos around 2003 would be, no backwards progress, no one ever will lose money on the Trackenbergs, ever. We're going to make everyone money. No one's, we're not going to let anyone down. And then when it started happening, um, I just didn't really know what to do with it because, you know, we still never had a manager. Right. We, we never had any sort of infrastructure in place. T- Tina and I are famously, T- Tina's my wife, yeah. we're famously not good on the internet as far as mailing lists. We never developed a mailing list. You know, we play these places in uh, Minnesota, like, you know, Prince's Club, the First Avenue uh, Club. That's mm-hmm. what it's called. For, is, that, is that the First Avenue Club? When the, uh, when the, when the uh, audience and the attendance started going down, what year was this? Say... Oh five, oh six. Okay, right? and we, we also did a lot of work in Europe at that point too. And we mm-hmm. we, we sold out the Soho Theater, which is a, an off West End theater on, on Dean Street in, in London. Twenty consecutive shows. We'd come home with ten thousand pounds. That's that was twenty thousand dollars to you and me, folks. Yeah, you know, it's just for a week's for two weeks' work. Yeah. Um, and and he's selling a ton of merchandise. We, we, we played the Bonnaroo Festival, and oh, oh it was a funny story. So we um, we were we were running really late to get to the Bonnaroo Festival, and it, we didn't have time to check our merchandise into the official Bonnaroo shop because you know, mm-hmm. we were running so late. You right. know, that like we pretty much had to like run right to the stage when we performed it, and you can't really do that at these kind of festivals. You have to check in. You have to like yeah. ride in a in a in a dirt a dirt buggy to get to the to get to the to the field and all that. And we were only running late just because you know. Oh, we have to, we have to go stop for breakfast or whatever something silly like that. or you know or we're just not taking the taking the, the 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 road seriously like how much time these things take take you know and we had a real right. goofy we had a real goofy tour manager who was even like more sloppy than we were so we get we get to the show pretty much hit, hit the stage we didn't have a chance to check in our merchandise playing in, five, in front of five thousand people yeah and we couldn't miss this opportunity to sell merchandise so we hawked it from the stage yeah right selling selling actually our opening act Langhorn Slim who's gone on to become mm-hmm. uh pr- pretty notable in, in his you know in, in his ways he's like a, like a blue American blue, mm-hmm. Americana bluegrass guy yeah. great performer mm-hmm. um he helped us hawk our merchandise and we snuck him up on stage as our opening act performer as our opening act for Bonnaroo completely not asking them first right because Langhorn was our opening act and we knew that was the right venue for him because yeah. you know, that, that's, that's the perfect audience for him like, Langhorn just go on up before us it's, it, it just, and like it just doesn't work that way at that level right and this he, is a major festival yes and, and you don't know, just like sell your own merchandise and so I could see, I could see them talking see them talking on stage and we, we hear you know, Jason you're never going to play this festival again you know, they were that pissed about it yeah you, you don't sell your merchandise from the stage because then they don't get their cut it's just not you know what right. if everyone did that I'm like right. well first off but don't we get special, special, you know, favorites, favoritism? Because you know, we we have a daughter, and yeah. you know, I start playing that card. And uh, needless to say, I haven't talked to the guy since. So. Oh wow! Yeah, that's too bad. Yeah. Oh, that's well, it sucks that they take a cut of your merchandise. Well, that's the way it works. I mean, you know, it's. I mean, that's why you know, shirts are you know forty dollars at those at those places because mm-hmm. you know they, they take fifty percent. Fifty percent is what yeah. Bonner. Yeah, yeah, it's usually well, no, it's not just Bonner. It's everywhere. It's it's usually fifty percent off of soft merchandise, and then twenty percent off of hard merchandise, like CDs, things wow. like that. Yeah. Wow. I've uh, I've never run into that with a huge festival like that but i know like the troubadour in la i played there and they take a cut of your merchandise which is not right that's the way it works yeah. it's, it's really silly I and mean, then that means the performer should get cut of the bar exactly hello yeah. nope doesn't work that way yeah they're already selling tickets but oh my god that's another story yeah it's a bit of a racket <laughs> it is and i don't know what it's like from their side i don't know about rent and bills and all that stuff well so. I, I i know that uh 
Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Uh, when you're dealing with a cash business, uh, they, they can knock a couple zeros off any way the equation they want to. That is true. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you came to New York. Things are going great. You're you're playing these sold out shows, and that must have lasted a while because you you started touring all over the country and, and to Europe. It was good. We do the Knitting Factory. It's line going around the block. Europe. Uh, we did the Edinburgh Festival Fringe, which I recommend if anyone can get over there for August. It's the experience of a lifetime mm-hmm. as as a performer or even just just as as a vacation. You know, for people who who, who, are, who are in the position to be able to take vacations. Um, th- Entertainment of the highest comedy comedic level from eight in the morning until eight in the morning, yeah. and then if if you if you do drink uh, alcohol, you you're, you'll have even more more of a, more of a good time. There. <laughs> I've, I've never seen anything like it there. Um, you'll you'll the see fringe the fringe festival, the, the festival fringe, and then they also have like alternative festivals and alternatives to the alternatives at, the, at this point. Mm-hmm. And it's the experience of a lifetime. Edinburgh in August, and, and Edinburgh is also a really accessible city. You don't have to have a car. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the only other city except for New York that you don't have to have a car, and you can get from point A to point B. You just walk. You walk. It's it's the it's the best. Nice. So and you guys got to play that, huh? Did it three years in a row. Won a bunch of awards. Um, I was involved in some uh, political protesting there. We we, we protested. Um, Nestle was a major sponsor, uh, but they're they're very known for marketing baby formula to third world countries in Africa. Mm-hmm. So we were involved in a major protest against that and got a lot of. It was a genuine thing. I didn't even didn't even. I just just wanted to make a point, and then we got you know, but it worked in, in a really good way in your favor. Yeah, just because it's because it was sincere. Yeah. Um, and then. And, and then, and then we toured across. We, we crisscrossed the United States fifteen times. Wow! You know, from you know Boston to that's the one corner. And what would the other corner be? San Diego, yeah. California. The other corner mm-hmm. to, to Seattle, Washington, to Miami, Florida. Yeah, it's a big X in the United States of America. Yeah, um, and, and then, you're and you're doing this, and your daughter Rachel is from what six say, to? It was more like eight, nine, ten, eleven at that point. Because okay. like six to seven were still the formative years in Seattle. Moved to um, New York. She was like seven or eight, and then then the the, the, the heyday. Of the band was oh two oh three oh four oh five oh six. Now, how does this? God, I'd love to talk to her about it. How does this? I mean, did she want to be doing this? She was playing drums. Did she want to be playing drums and singing? She would never say no to a show. She even she even uh, was dealing with a, uh, a a broken bone at one point. Uh, it's, it's, it hurts me to even say, but she she, she broke her leg uh-huh. in, in, in a in a freak school accident. Um, slipping on a, on a freshly mopped floor on the first day back of school after Christmas vacation, um, just she was running in nonsensible shoes. You know, uh-huh. everyone's 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 like, you should school, she should sue the school district. You know, I'm like, she was running in nonsensible shoes. Okay, so she's in <laughs> she's in school. So were you guys touring just during vacation and summer uh, months? She was in alternative school. Alternative school, and it was a very alternative school called uh, AS One, Alternative School One. For those of 
your listeners are probably familiar with Evergreen College in Olympia, yeah. Washington. Choose your own major. Choose your own choose your own teacher. Teacher, choose your own gender. I mean, uh-huh. it was it was it was it was call your teacher by her first name. This was done at AS One. This was done at element kindergartens. Kindergartners were choosing their classes and calling the transgender teachers by their first name. This oh. is a very progressive school. Um, so, so, but it's still a building where they have to go to and show up and it, stay. Although most of the time was spent out in the garden. Yes, it was still a building. Uh, it was still sanctioned by the Seattle School District, but nothing like that would fly anywhere else. It's because it's it's Seattle's a more progressive city. Right. And parents actually are allowed to be involved in their children's education, as opposed to here in New York uh, and probably most other cities mm-hmm. um, where they, they, uh, wouldn't, they don't welcome parent involvement. But you'd still drop her off, and couldn't she miss as much school as she wanted to? Uh, hopefully my parents aren't listening, but yes. She could, okay. Yeah. I, I was just thinking that. Didn't you and Tina ever get any pressure or guff from your families? Like, this is no way to raise a child. I, I got, um, I, 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 I'm sure we, we've crossed this bridge before with, with my parents. My parents were not excited about her, alter, her alternative education. My, my mom is an educator. Uh, she's an elementary school teacher of, mm. of a very, very high level. Like, she, my mom teaches teachers. Okay. And so the fact that we were anti, or not anti, but, but we, we, that we questioned, um, you know, industrialized education, you know, uh, the established Dick school Cheney, system, the established school system, yeah. the fact that we questioned government involvement mm-hmm. and questioned the intentions of this government curriculum and the fact that we would align schools with military, with jails, really upset my, really upset my sure, mom. And, and yeah. she, I'm sure she's still, uh, you know, isn't, isn't pleased about that choice. Mm-hmm. And that's why we had to choose a very, very alternative school that had the same belief systems that we did. Right. So when, how did you fit her schooling in with touring? How would that work? See in a couple of weeks. <laughs> yeah, we, 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 we bring we bring the books along with us, you know, and 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 you know, do the times tables, do the reading, you know, every night, you know, to, to the best of our abilities. But they they, they understood that the the thing about the alternative schools, they realized that life is as much of an education sure. as schooling. They don't put their their they don't they don't take it personally if you think that you can do as good a job as they do. Whereas the standard education, I still agree with that. I think I learned more in college uh, just after classes than I did in classes for sure. I would hope so. Yeah. Well, so, you, went, you went to New Paltz, so... <laughs> oh, well, that's why. <laughs> so how did Rachel feel about this? Was she, like any kid, totally excited to not have to go to school? She, she let, let, Let's just say yes. I think that's, that's easier. I mean, her, okay. her school was fun. I mean, she would, she'd, have, she'd have songs called Folk Songs for Peace. Uh-huh. And as a first grader, so, you know, they'd learn about Bob Dylan. they learn about uh, Peter, Paul, and Mary, mm-hmm. Joni Mitchell. Um, so that, that, that'd be the education that, that, that she received. So it, it, the, the, the alternative education was aligned with uh, with our alternative lifestyles. Right, right. So she was totally happy to go on tour. Completely. And oh, the thing about the broken leg, I was going to say, is like, mm-hmm. she broke her leg, had, had this big pink cast on, and, she, and, we, and we, we had a show, you know, in, in the course of like that recovery period. And of course, you know, Rachel, please, just, just, just take it off. She's like, no. She insisted on doing the show with a cast on, uh-huh. hitting like the, the drum pedal. Like, with, with, like, it's like, no one, who else would do that? No, yeah. no other drummer would do that. No other, she said, oh, I'll take this one off, you know, fine. No, no. It's like she insisted on it. And, and, and we had to have a friend like lift her up and put her in the drum, drum, drum chair. Cause I just, you know, I'm not, not the strongest guy in the world. So, <laughs> now, did she tell me if I'm stepping on any, any lines here, but yeah. was she doing that because of her love for music and drums? Or do you think she was doing that to get approval from her parents? Oh, her love for music and drums. Yeah. Yeah, she, 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 she would, if she disapproved of a way that we handled her as a parent, mm-hmm. she had every right and, and did talk back to us and tell us uh, things, things that we would never, you know, I, I can't say for sure, but things I can safely say that I would never say to my parents, uh-huh. probably present company included, we couldn't say or else, you know, we'd just get, get thrown out the window or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. She, the, 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 each generation 
should become a better parent than their previous generation. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that's pretty much followed, followed the line. Better meaning if you, that you can call your parent, you can, that you can be, you're able to call your parents on their BS. Right. Right. And, she, and, she, and, and, and when, when, when we were, and when, and when she was able to do that, when she, when she saw something wasn't, you know, aligning right with, with, with logic, she called us on that. Yeah. So, um, I don't think she was looking to please us at, at all, okay. but she did anyway. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, how was she as a kid? Was it pretty typical where you'd have to discipline her and would she act out behavior problems and you'd have to yell at her, punish her? She, she was, uh, she was very easy to deal with. I must say. Cause she, it's sounding yeah. like she's just a typical bandmate, like, yeah. a, like a, like an equal to you guys. She, uh, maybe even better. Yeah. Really? Uh, yeah. I mean, she got, she got, um, it was because she she always she always be, behaved well. She, she never complained. You know, she was always easy. In the, you know, she, for a sixteen hour drive, she, mm-hmm. she, you know, she, you know, me and Tina were harder to deal with than she was. She, yeah. was. she was very easy to deal with. And this is before iPads. She couldn't just zone out on an iPad like kids do. Yeah, com- completely. It was th- things were different back then. Yeah. And she would be okay with these long drives. She never complained about anything. You know, she she was very very easy to deal with. I think, obviously, parents are going to make this decision when they make it. But I think. I'm a, I'm a advocate because it worked for us mm-hmm. of the one child policy, uh-huh. like you know, like they do in China, right? right. <laughs> um, it's just therefore both parents. Therefore, you have two parents, one child. Right. We can put we the, the mother and father can put all of their energies into this one child without the distraction of this this other little new child running around, right? So not both both children will get. Um, just Plus, she has no one to plot with against you. Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know if that if that would happen. But but um, I mean, she would plot individually. I'm sure if she needed, if she needed, if she needed to, she, she would. Yeah. But we were able to give her everything. Mm-hmm. Right. We were never distracted. Your full attention. Yes. Also, we didn't have traditional jobs as well, too. You right. know, we're you know, I did, would do. We did. We had dog walking service. Is, is mm-hmm. what we did. Um, so it wasn't, wasn't like I was on business trips for weeks at a time. Or and Tina also did non traditional employment too. She'd, she'd help out with the dog walking or do like. Uh, she'd come up with these catering business ideas. We made our own our own homemade salsa for a while. We were in, in seven stores in Seattle, maybe even like fifteen stores. And so you know, she's you know that's how we do the, you know the pigeons as well now. So it's always something different. But whatever it was, it was on her own terms. She made her own schedule. She never has to be you know at an office at nine o'clock in the morning and come home. You know, just was every which way not able to to um yeah you know, give, give the child the attention that she and, needs. And also like having parents that are fulfilled that haven't made sacrifices for their kids and are living miserable lives or jobs they hate. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, it doesn't sound like you guys were doing any of that, which is she kids pick up on. It really benefited her. Yeah. And we were just able to give her all of our attention. Mm-hmm. And if we'd had those jobs that you they referred to, or like I said, if we had a second child, right. Um, we wouldn't have been able to do that. So You'd been so, more exhausted yeah. for sure. So pa- parents, yeah. I mean, I, it, it was it was it's a lot of work, you know. We, we we put a lot into it. That being said, I would say parents should make whatever decision they feel. But if they think five kids are right for them, you know, then if that's right for you, go ahead. Five is too much. Just don't just, have five just, kids. Just, just, just don't ask me to help out. Okay? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you you were doing you were making salsa and selling up to schools uh, to shops as well. Yeah, supermarkets. I, I, that's so cool. Yeah, health I always markets. say artists and entrepreneurs are pretty much in the same boat. You know, like as an artist, you have to learn how to market it and promote it and book shows and do all that stuff it's not much different than making salsa and selling salsa and on that same note as far as the entrepreneurial element mm-hmm. you have to come up with an original idea as well too as an artist an original idea yeah, yeah. That's, and market good, and promote and sell it that was a good comparison yeah good um correlation a- analogy yeah <laughs> i've always think because there is like a there's an art versus commerce thing where artists tend to hate business and commerce but i kind of 
don't really completely get it because I feel like art and promoting it is very similar to being an entrepreneur. It is. And there's this whole thing where like, you know, people, everyone's scared to talk about money, right? Mm -hmm. Everyone's everyone's so scared. Um, and I think I think that's that's an issue that needs needs to be. Uh, I think that's changed uh, with the new generation. Obviously, if you get your song placed in a commercial nowadays, it's like, oh, congratulations! <laughs> but twenty years ago, was, you were a sellout. Yeah, be like, congratulations. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. That really has changed. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's uh, there's there's no such thing as selling out anymore. Yeah, now I it's remember uh, Neil Young's song, "This Note Is for You," where he was just making fun of uh, Budweiser. Yeah, yeah, anyone that was that was performing their their songs for for commercial reasons. Exactly, it's, he had a whole song and an album about it. Yeah. yeah, it's a different landscape. Video. Now. Yeah. Part of that is because it's hard to make a living as a musician, especially. You know, the music industry has notoriously taken a dive. It's very tough. People because of the are internet. Streaming. Yeah, yeah everyone, everyone sits at home now. And, and just, well, or, the way they take in music is uh, streaming online. And they, they don't buy records anymore. They don't, yeah. buy, they don't buy CDs anymore. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. You must have noticed that throughout your touring, because I noticed that too. The the dive in sales, where I'd have because touring from like two thousand two to two thousand ten. I mean, I did a lot of touring, but in that time period, I saw people would come to the shows and they'd know the music. And they wouldn't buy a CD. They'd buy a shirt, maybe. But then I'd say, hi, how do you know the music? And they'd say, oh, the internet. I'd say, oh, I'm, I'm curious. Just, I'm not blaming you. I'm just wondering, did you buy it on iTunes or stream it? And they, they would say, I don't know, the internet. Mm-hmm. It's like, it didn't make a difference. <laughs> internet. <laughs> yeah. They don't mm-hmm. even know if they bought it or stole it mm-hmm. or what. Whew. It's just yeah. a new way of taking in music. It's... Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's it's really challenging as well. It is, too. but 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 even with all that, mm-hmm. you know, you, you go out to Williamsburg. It's it's a really hip neighborhood in New I York. I feel an optimistic yeah. thought coming. <laughs> the the clubs have never been more crowded than ever before. That's true. People are, have never been more passionate about bands than ever before. Mm-hmm. You know, it's 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 yes, it's consolidated. You know, yes, I walk by Rough Trade Music every day and trying to figure out what the heck is going on. So it's a record store in, yeah. in Brooklyn. How are they paying for that place? It's it's amazing. They must be laundering serious money because it's just this enormous space in Williamsburg, and they're selling records. They, they, you do see a lot of people, you know, leaving with records. And plus, also, I mean, it's the vinyl revolution is coming back. People mm-hmm. are definitely getting back into it, which which is which is exciting. It's promising. Yeah, does, uh, Jason, does your your current music does it have the visual element to it? Uh, Right. That's funny. People yeah. people often ask, Jason, is your daughter playing drums in your band right, now? Right, right, right. What, what, <laughs> um, is, what is no, it like now, I, now I, for you, playing th- music? Th- th- um, I'll tell you what, I'll answer that question by taking a step backwards. Mm-hmm. Um, so so we, we left off very quickly, and I'll come back to that as well. Sure. It's, it's under control, everyone. Don't, don't, don't worry. Don't worry. <laughs> don't worry, because everyone's going to... Okay, I can do this thing. Okay. Yeah. So... So we, you know we're we're riding at a really high level, yeah. And then all of a sudden, you know, pretty much, you know, the, the phone stopped ringing. Um, we, we we stopped getting gigs. You know, promoters were losing money on our band, mm-hmm. and it just became impossible to do it anymore. We we went back. We went. Uh, we lost our man, We lost our our booker, uh, and 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 then we even did a couple of residencies in Brooklyn. It was like a final. You know, a, a label put out our volume two record, which I brought along. Maybe we could pay, play a track from that later on. Cool. Yeah. Um, and track number family volume two, a, a label called um, Tummy Touch in Brooklyn put it out, and we did a couple of residencies. One at uh, Pan Box Rock Shop in Brooklyn, and mm-hmm. then one at um, a, a club in, in Manhattan, which, which maybe a, a piano's like club in Manhattan. I forget mm-hmm. which, maybe Mercury Lounge. I'm not sure, but um, and like no one, no one came. We're doing free shows. No one came. There was no interest anymore. Okay, okay, I can take a hint. You know what that means? 
time to totally reinvent everything. We can't keep milking this act. We're not like Tom Petty. We're not going to keep on like doing, doing the same thing. We have to, out of necessity, reinvent ourselves right. as artists and leave the past firmly behind mm-hmm. because it's not working anymore. And also, it conjures up a, a bit of sadness as well because we actually saw it die. Yeah. You know, we, we, saw, we saw this beautiful thing that changed the art world and, and, and made a lot of people really happy and, and, and made a lot of people, including ourselves, a lot of money as well, too. And a lot, yeah. a lot of business people made, made a, lot of, and a lot of TV people. We were on, you know, on every TV channel and, and, and we, took it, we took it as far as we could take it. And then it, quick, it, it, just, it just died. No one was interested anymore for whatever reason, for, for various reasons. For do, various do you reasons. know why, the, why that happened? Um, I think that b- the, uh, the press stopped writing about us as much as they did before and also, you, and also people like we saw the tractor works before we saw them you know what, what are they oh, it's, 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 it's people's lives set to music you know we're also kind of doing the same songs that, that we're doing but even, even when I'd write new songs it just, just the interest just wasn't, wasn't there uh-huh. how many records did, had you had a new record come out I tried to I'd, I'd, write, I'd write, write songs and songs I'd, I'd you know, try and plug this record and mm-hmm. the, the record labels weren't interested until this one called uh, t- uh, Tummy Touch which was in Brooklyn put mm-hmm. out our volume 2 I even wrote a Christmas record as well too right. <laughs> you know no interest that wasn't there I will say this for the music industry and I had, I had PR people tell me this because I've come out with five records and an EP under my band name and um for the fourth record a pr company told me that i should change the band name and do a whole new thing what's what's your band name uh it's called setting sun okay and um it's basically me and a revolving cast of characters friends and a pr person said oh it's your fourth record yeah change your band name because no one cares anymore everyone's obsessed with the new what, they, what, what was their suggestion for a band name? Oh, of course they didn't have one, you know. It's just, uh, don't do this, don't do this. But um, it got me thinking about, I don't know if it's the media or if it's the people or both, the obsession with the new thing. You know, once you've kind of done it, they move on to the next, the new. And to me, it seemed like, no, I made another record that has the same sound. It's a natural progression from that. It doesn't feel like a new project. I'm keeping that name. And the fan base is growing. So, um, but it kind of depressed me, that obsession with youth and the new. I think that's, that's just a sign of the times. I mean, with the internet, like, people just want to keep seeing new stuff. Mm-hmm. They want to see a new viral video today. I mean, just people's attention spans, I think, are, are shorter. So, yeah, it's like, ah, I've already listened to four of that guy's records. Yeah. I don't have to listen to any more. Well, they do and they don't. You know, for example, if you listen to classic rock radio, they've, they've narrowed it down to about three songs right now. You, know, you can't always get what you want. Uh, you know, Stairway to Freebird or whatever, right? So that, 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 that's, it's basically going to be one song in, in 10 years. You know, you know we want to see the Rolling Stones. You want to see the Rolling Stones. I want to see, you know, Satisfaction. I want to see, that, that song is, is 50 years old. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I know that's one ele- that's, that's just one element, but I think that um, um, it, 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 it's, it's, it's really confusing. It's just like, do, do, you want, do you want new? Do you want old? I mean, it's, I think they just want to make money. Well, yeah, that's, it's all tied in. Yeah. But is it like that in other art forms? I mean, Louis C.K. had been around for 25, 30 years. And yeah, but I mean, I don't know what his future is like. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's still as talented as he's always been, but I don't hear people or see people talking about Louis the way they were a year or two ago. They want the next comic. Right. So you think it's like that with all art, where they're just obsessed with the new and we should all just keep changing our names? And always try and be the new thing. Well, you definitely certain you, you experience a certain experience with 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 that's going to last with you forever. From what from what that PR person did, you know, mm-hmm. it's just like they're 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 telling you something that's 
artistically indifferent, you know, and, and they're speaking from a place that they, that they have no knowledge, which is your art. You know, who are they to say? Yeah, I mean, but they're representing the media. So, so, so I mean... So, so okay. So, this is the question that we're dealing with here, is, and it ties on, into right. it ties into to your band because okay. you had your, and then it's like, okay, we've we've been there, we've done that, we've seen them already. But you're you're people, you're living organisms, you're constantly evolving. Hopefully, yeah. yeah. But the thing is, if if the checks keep coming in, there's no impetus to change. You know, why should I know? I keep keep harkening back to him, but he's I think I think he's a really prime example. Tom Petty. Mm-hmm. Okay, here's someone who's you know who who. You know, came from modest beginnings. I think it's safe to say, right? Yeah. You know, I don't think he was a rich kid or whatever. Right. For whatever that means, you can still make decent music and be a rich kid, but it, yeah. it, it kind of it might get in the way. Um, and he he had a very important record with with Damn the Torpedoes. Yeah, musically dynamic, heartfelt, screams off off, off the speakers, right? Yeah, and he, as as if he had really something to prove. Then all of a sudden, you know. He doesn't have to make his bed anymore. He doesn't have to wash his dishes anymore. And he starts writing songs that are that are you know a, a little more a little more uh, you know, saccharine-ish. You know, it's a little more predictable. Yeah. And then the, the the grit is the grit is gone. Same thing with the Foo Fighters, for example. Mm-hmm. The, the, the first Foo Fighters record, uh, you but know, people it's, still love it. But it's it's a magical piece of art. Yeah. But, but then but then you know Dave Grohl, someone keeps telling you, hey, wow, that's a great C chord you just played there. Whatever. It's like everything you do is right. Wow, that's a, that's a, that's a nice note. It's like no one tells these people that they need to get better. In fact, they're saying to them, don't get better because what you're doing right now is working. Right. right? So, so there's, no, there's no desire, there's no need to change, there's no, there's no why would they? Because that's a risky. Yeah. Right? So, so, so getting back to your question here, I, I, we had to reinvent ourselves completely. And, and so what my next project was just going to be what, what came naturally to me, which was, which was not, not involve a slide projector, did not involve a, a, young, a young woman on drums. I just was walking in Midtown, maybe around 57th Street, the part of the streets where, I don't know if they spray something on the sidewalks, but you get like that, that glitter starts coming off of it. You know, I know it's not a natural phenomenon, but it's, it's like... It's, oh, is it's, that it's, when you take acid and start to walk around? <laughs> no, I was actually... Not, not, not in this case, but, uh, but, but, but as it was, um, it was... It was I, was I was I was on the level. Um, <laughs> they do they do it in Hollywood too. They, they put they put sparkles on the sidewalk and, and it kind of kind of glitters. Maybe it is me. I don't, I don't know. Okay, <laughs> like a, like a business would do it in front of their storefront. Well, I, I, it's, it's it's okay. It's okay that, that I'm missing this here. That's okay. <laughs> yeah. um, no, it's done for like a whole block. Like on Hollywood Boulevard, they do it, and on 57th Street, they, they must spray something because then then the he's, 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 I think it's like. A, that's okay. I'm losing everyone here. That's all right. No, I know what you're talking about. Okay. It's like little colored glitter yes! and stuff. Yeah. Okay. And, 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 and I'm walking down the street of streets, which is in New York, there are many streets of streets, but one of them is the block of 57th Street, where Steinway Hall is. And um, Tin, Is that what they call Tin Pan Alley? I, w- correct me if I'm wrong, was Tin Pan Alley a, a little more downtown? If I, could, I don't know. Okay, we could, I'm, I'm sure there's some historian right now who's like, like ready to kill all of us yeah, for, not, yeah. for not knowing this answer. But, um, and then, just like that, I went jazz. Okay? I just, just changed my stripes. Like, mm-hmm. like, like, the, like the zebra becoming the, the, the Dalmatian or something, right? Pop music um, and, and doing the same song the same way became irrelevant to me. And it, it affected my writing style. And so big band jazz, 1940s, 1930s, 19, you know, uh, Duke Ellington, um, you know, um, Count Basie, uh, Cole Porter. Gershwin, Sinatra, right? This, this became the. This became what I. A style change just hit you. Shum, uh-huh. like that, and it happened there because I think I think I, I think something about the sidewalks, something about that area, just something about all the energy mm-hmm. from the, the you know the 150, 200 year history of New York entertainment. I just, it just all the, you know, maybe someone's lost dream 
came down on me. It was it was it was a creative yeah rebirth as as you know as like a, as, as a experience of past life in this present situation. Yeah. And I, I, you know, as, as to back up, back up, I did, I did like Cole Porter and I like Broadway songs, mm-hmm. uh, uh, as, as a, as a youth, but then you know, like everyone else, I got into, you know, Neil Young and, you know, uh, this is, this is me pl- playing a guitar, if anyone, <laughs> um, it became, became the, you know, the you know, Beatles, of course. And right. So was there an overlap between the Trachtenberg family sideshow players and the, your new group, your new band? No, because the Trachtenbergs at that, at that point, we, we, we'd already pushed it as far as we could. It was about mm-hmm. 2010, 2011. No one was coming to our shows anymore. No one bought our record. There, there, was, there was no interest, in, with no articles. We, how, we did, did, how did your daughter Rachel take this? Just as a natural progression, we, we, she took it as, thank you, Mom and Dad, for including me in this, in this amazing experience that, that we all had together, mm-hmm. that we'll never forget, that no one will, no one will ever forget, because we, we entertain tens of thousands of people, maybe even hundreds of thousands, and, and you have now set me up for a life of, I don't know what's going to happen next, but yeah. I have the foundation in, in entertainment and life in fashion and art, mm-hmm. in, in songwriting and show business. To, to do whatever's going to happen next. Mm-hmm. I'm, and this is me talking for all of us. I'm glad we can't keep doing this forever because now we're going to reinvent ourselves in all these different ways. So does she say this? No, this is me talking for everyone. Okay. <laughs> she, she's like 17 at this point. Sure. So she's she's ready to, to do her own thing. Yeah, maybe more like uh, maybe more like fifteen, fifteen, okay. sixteen. But she's, yeah, she's getting old enough that she wants to kind of create her own path. Completely. She she, yeah. she wants she wants to write songs now, and then she started a band called Super Cute with her with her Super Cute with mm-hmm. her friend Julia, and actually they even uh, they even the, the the original Super Cute even opened up for the Trachtenbergs on our final on our final sad tour. Oh, cool. Um, and so so that's how they that's how they had their beginnings. So did she realize what was going on? Like you're playing these big shows and they're selling out, and there's lines around the block. Then all of a sudden you're playing shows and it's not full, and then there's of, less and less. Of course, people. and she knew that I was like I was like getting really sad, and and and, and I was taking it all in. I had to deal with the business part of it. Yeah, she, right. she didn't have to worry worry about that too much. But she knew what was going on, and she was so respectful. And and so, so did she and, take any response? Did she think it was her fault? No, it was it was her. It was her. It was her. We were thankful to her for even getting us this far. Right. You know, ha- having the, the the two major selling points. Well, the three major selling points in it were, I think if people were to say it, like, oh, even, even before the little girl on drums, oh, it's the slides, it's the imagery, oh, it's the little girl on drums, right. oh, it's the fashion. Right. One, and then, of course, fourth and way back seat was, oh, it's the songwriting. Right, right. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Which is just like, oh, that's the part I was the most proud about. Right. It was, I, I got these hooky songs, I got these things that are as good as, you know, anything else out there, mm-hmm. and no one ever talked about that. Right. Ever. Well, you're it, overshadowed by the style. Which is fine. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, no one was more stylish than the Beatles. They were the most stylish band ever, but the music still came first. Right. They, they were art. They, they, yeah. they, they were the embodiment of living, because, because the Beatles, to their credit, what had the secret weapon, their two secret weapons were George Martin and Brian Epstein. Mm-hmm. Right? Without the, everything about them was a secret weapon, of course. Yeah. But, 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 you know, Martin gave them this comical edge to their music. Brian Epstein gave them the, this, this gray, gay aesthetic you know, like, look at the cover of like Meet the Beatles or, or With the Beatles for, for our British fans. Oh, you think yeah. he provided a lot of style? Yeah, I've shared nothing but, but the fab- most fabulous gay stylists. You know, you know, in you know for the hair and everything. That's right. why they, that's why they looked perfect. Mm-hmm. Straight guys can't do that. Yeah, well, and they also targeted uh, young girls. You know, you get someone told me this once. Don't worry about getting guys to your show. Get a bunch of girls to your show. And then you'll get a lot of guys to your show. Because they want to be where the girls are. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But if, uh, if there's a lot of guys at your show, and girls come, and they see that there's too many guys, they'll, they'll stop coming. They'll get scared. Yeah. For, for, for good reason. And then the guys stop coming. <laughs> that, that, this is, uh, sir, <laughs> you have right. summed it up. <laughs> right? Yeah. When I was living in Los Angeles, and people were always promoting their uh, shows, they would 
I, they'd go to hand me a flyer and they'd be like, oh, nope, sorry. And I was, wait, <sighs> what? You can't like, spare the one cent for a flyer? Jesus. No, they weren't even, yeah, they're not even handing them out to guys. They're just <sighs> trying to get girls to their show. That's right. embarrassing. Yeah. That's just, I, give, I give my flyers to everyone. That's, that's just yeah, silly, I mean, that's kind of overboard there. Oh, my, but, but, but it's bored. Did, it is did, did the guy mistake you as a woman as you were coming down the street and then he saw you clearly like, uncalled for <laughs> yeah. uncalled. That, that's exactly and that's how I got that bit of information he told me like, we don't we don't promote to guys it's <laughs> oh, so sad I mean there's, there's, there's only one kind of person it's a human being you know and, and, and when, when we come to that realization that, that, that we can embody the male and the female aesthetic they really just help art and, and our experience you know as a human political being yeah yeah, but then there's audience. I think one thing a lot of artists lose perspective of is the audience. It's, it's uh, you know, I'd be lying if I didn't tell you that I like girls in the audience as well, too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And also, like, whatever you, whatever art form you do, you get so entrenched in that that you forget. The audience just wants to be entertained. It's true. Yeah. And it's, I, I think about with, with, with my shows, as I think about, okay, if I was going to go see a show, you know, which, which I, I get out all the time, what would I want to see in a show? What, what, what would be the funniest moment for me? What, you know, mm-hmm. I, li- I, like, I like when mistakes happen. Okay, maybe I'll make a couple of intentional mistakes. You know, just as, you know, I, I, like, right, right. I, I, I like seeing the human side of performers. Mm-hmm. Um, I like seeing someone who does uh, vocal theatrics. You know, I, li- I like to see someone who, who has a little bit of, you know, can do, do some trickery, you know, play behind a play piano behind your back you know stuff like that so okay that's what i'm gonna do mm-hmm. you know I, I like to see someone who looks great on stage you know let me i will do the best that i possibly can you know given given the the, the, the deck of cards i've been dealt you know i want to get a 30 dollar haircut you know yeah this is i, I you know i want to want to you know be, be you know i, I want to you know a, a couple tricks okay i'm gonna, I'm gonna yeah this, 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 this is stuff you've all been tuning in for performer tricks okay things i've learned in show business to help you become a better performer let's hear here it. we go Rule number one, never, ever, ever bring a plastic bottle up on stage. Ever. It looks trashy. Mm-hmm. Put your beverage in a cup. Nothing is as disappointing as seeing a legend drinking out of a plastic bottle. <laughs> it's, it's, it's very, very uh, it's, it's dis- disconcerting. Uh-huh. Number two. Number two. Um, give me a second here. Oh, <laughs> never, ever, ever. First off, don't ever get sick. You know, keep your immune system up. But if for some reason you're, you, if some reason you, you have a bit of a cold going yeah. on, never, ever, ever tell the audience that you're sick. Mm-hmm. They don't want to know, and it's gross to the next performer who has to use the microphone yeah. after you. Don't ever do it. Just you know, just, you know, t- take take a lozenge, get get through the performance. Don't ever do it. First off, don't get sick. But if, but if, if it happens, don't let the audience uh, know that. Three shoes. Wear 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 proper stylish. Don't wear sneakers on stage because the mm. eye level. Is on, you know, connects especially on a bigger stage. Connects at the same level as the shoes. It's the first thing the audience sees. Uh-huh. Wear proper shoes. Do not wear sneakers on stage. Just, and I know indie rockers love to do that. It's like, yeah. look, are you, are you the roadie or, or are you the band? <laughs> you know, and if you can't tell the difference between the two, we have an aesthetic problem. Right, right. Uh, I have a couple other. T- is this is this where you got from your wife some of her uh, fashion? It tips? was it, it was helpful. Yeah, she 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 she, she, she was very helpful. She's yeah. she's a fashionista. My, my daughter is actually. Um, pr- pretty, pretty well known as for having a, an extreme, extremely tasty sense of style. Fashion you know, sense, uh-huh. yeah, but and not and not like and not like this, you know, Pierre Cardin or you know or uh, you know. Look, give, give Pierre. It's, if that's a Pierre, if that's a Pierre Cardin jacket, give it back to Pierre. It's his jacket, okay? You know. <laughs> so at the height of your success, and you're you're feeling pretty. Um, 
full of yourself not to put words in your mouth no, would you, is that oh I, th- I thought i was i thought i was the hottest thing ever okay know? yeah do you think any of you think uh your daughter picked up on any of that yes and she probably said to herself dad you're acting like an idiot you know i'm, I'm sure but, but 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 she's nice enough to not have to say that you know you, what, did she she kids see everything yeah kids, yeah yeah they're she, very she knew, perceptive. especially her in particular uh and of course as, as you noted earlier it was pre pre ipad thing so so, so so she was even more tuned in she was she was yeah. very present in the car yeah. and all but that. she was but she was but she was yeah but she was more than she was respectful enough to say you know, dad you're making an idiot out of yourself or whatever uh-huh. you know, she didn't you, grow she, up full of herself i mean it must no. be she, she just she she had a better because she, she was more grounded her mom was really helpful in that department mm-hmm. she she doesn't have any ego at all because a lot of you know you hear these stories of child stars they grow up with all this adoration and because they, because they're, they're because they, similarly like i said before she's always had to make her own bed she's always had to wash her own dishes mm-hmm. um she's never just had you know people running around for her doing things and if she does she wants to help out help them do that that, that would make her feel awkward having someone having someone do that it would okay that's yeah. good so you've managed to raise her it sounds like she's pretty grounded completely and so so where she's at right now is she has um, she was a band called Super Cute for a while, but they've disbanded. She was a band called The Prettiest, where she was the drummer, and they're actually kind of rising through the scene. But then, um, I'm not sure what happened. But th- they found another drummer, so she's not the drummer anymore. I, th- I think like she took a, I don't even know what happened. But but uh, is she still singing? She was just the drummer in that band. Okay. And I don't I, I didn't mean to suggest the drummer. Sorry if I offended uh, one third of our listening audience. Um, <laughs> she was the drummer of, of that band. Yeah. I, by just I mean by just the drummer. She wasn't she wasn't singing or writing the songs. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she, that band and her parted ways. Uh, it'll all come out in her autobiography, I'm sure. <laughs> um, but then but now that's allowed her the time and the freedom to start her own project again, which is called Rachel Trachtenberg. Mm-hmm. She uh, does her own songs and she plays uh it's a two-person or three-person band depending on the night her guitar player is this fellow named jr thomason mm-hmm. and he's the guitar player in our stevie morris band if, if that if that name um, oh yeah so he so he's he's kind of avant-garde and pop at the same time but then she broke ground the other night at um a, a show that we had at a, a, a venue in bushwick where she played drums and sang at the same time a la Ka- karen carpenter yeah but but rocked so hard and it it I can almost say the stage melted. Cool. And it was it was one of those moments in, sh- in that, that as an audience member, you will never forget. And I, no one had ever seen anything like it. And she warned us too. She said that something happened magical during rehearsal, th- and it was that she was singing and playing drums at the same time with with Jr. and guitar. Yeah. And we're like, oh, you know. And and it it just everyone just melted. Like the, she felt the chemistry with him and he, the music. It's some, something something clicked. Yeah. I mean, that's something so cool about playing in a band when you get that chemistry with the right people yeah like led zeppelin yeah led zeppelin the beatles obviously mm-hmm. but like you can't replicate that you can't take one person out and replace them it's such a fragile thing right yeah right. and it's impossible to repeat it's just that's the thing and you know and, and having having band members you can really trust and who know your sensibilities mm-hmm. and, and where you're going to go so I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring it bring it all back to the present here whereas so i started this i went jazz and 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 being in a regular you know guitar guitar bass drum band format became not sensible for, for the arrangements that I was thinking You're of. You're on 57th Street and it hits you. Kaboom. Yeah. Right, you know, right across from the Russian tea house or something, something uh-huh. like that. There, there it was. I, I, it, was it was an energetic uh, message. Yeah. I, I, it was, and it was, it was like a power, it was like a, like, like kind of like, um, um, what's astral planning yeah. sort of thing. It was like, zoom. It was like, wow, is, did something just happen? It was, it was, it was, it was, ow, it was something, it's just, it's just possibly. <laughs> um, and, I have to. I have to start a big band. Well, how am I going to do that? I, I have you know no budget. You know where, where, what am I going to what am I going to do? Well, I'm just going to do it. Right. Mm-hmm. The same thing with the sideshow players. 
I'm just going to let this idea carry this thing through. I'm going to have an orchestra. What do you mean, Jason, you're going to have an orchestra? You don't even know any, any, any musicians who aren't rock musicians, and you don't have the money to, to, to put something there. I'm yeah. going to do this. Uh-huh. I'm going to have an orchestra. Okay. Do you, do you, have, oh, do you have any experience in an orchestra? No. Uh-huh. <laughs> Not a bit. Yeah. Do you even, like, can you even read music? Not a note. That's fine. I'm going to have an orchestra a la Count Basie, Duke Ellington, big band. Great. So this idea hits you, and it, it seems very clear. It feels like it's very clear. I can vision it. I envision uh-huh. it. I want an upright bass player. I want a drummer. Drummer, you know, boom, boom, boom. And is that the band you have now? That's the band I have now. It's called the Pendulum Swings. Okay. And the cool thing about the Pendulum Swings is because it's such a different dichotomy than rock. Is that the right word? I don't know if that's the right word. Damn it. Okay, you might have to edit that out. I don't know what this is. Okay. I'm just throwing these words around like I know what they mean. It's such a different mental, it's such a different approach than rock. Yeah. Use that take right there. Okay. Okay. It's such a different approach than rock that you don't have to, and this is going to go exactly what you were talking about before, uh-huh. you don't have to have the same band members. Every show I do, I have different band members, including right. band members I've never met before, mm-hmm. including band members who've never even heard the songs before. Mm-hmm. It's like, and so when, so when I, I, it's, hey, nice to meet you, you're playing, you're playing bass tonight, nice to meet you, you're you know, playing you know, alto one. Um, Was it all written out on sheet music? It's on sheet music. Okay. On, we have charts. Yeah. And yeah. these cats just can just do it all. Mm-hmm. So it was pretty much started by this, I put out an ad on a, um, on a thing they used to call Craigslist, mm-hmm. and um, I, I know I know they don't have that anymore. You know, for, and so <laughs> I, I know we're just kind of okay. And so this fellow named Gregory for people Hammond, listening in the future in three thousand twenty-eight. It's called Craigslist. We don't know who Craig's was. We don't even know what lists are. But it's called Craigslist. It was a thing that they had that used to be called the Internet, and like a, like a help wanted section. Like you yeah. know, they used to have a thing called musicians wanted, drummer wanted was, was, right. was the famous one. Drummer wanted, you know, band starting. So I'd, I, I, I wrote, what did I write? Um, Horn player needed. I didn't, even, I didn't even know the difference between a trumpet or a trombone or an altar. I didn't know the difference between right. them. I didn't even know. I said, a horn player needed. And this fellow, Gregory Hammontree, re- responded. Mm. Sweet young man from uh, Atlanta, Georgia. Yeah. Moved to New York recently. Has, has a lovely uh, fiance, now wife, uh, Nicole Broncado, she's a piano player. Mm-hmm. And, and he just, he, and he, he was, he resp- I had a couple of cats respond before him, but he just really took, took a real genuine interest to what I had doing as a stage personality. I developed a yeah. stage personality that I developed from the Trachtenberg slideshow, mm-hmm. whereas I could put this whole thing together and turn it into this jokey, jokey thing, but then keep going back to the song. So that, that's where the Trachtenberg thing, where, where it, 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 I don't say bled over because I don't, it sounds injurious, um, but it, it melded over. Uh-huh. Um, whereas like, I developed this comedic command of the stage. Yeah. A comedic command of the stage. I recommend yeah. it for everyone. <laughs> you can do it too. With a jazz band, right? Instead of like with a family band, that that because it made sense with a family slideshow vaudeville band, but now in a jazz format, I'm not sure if that's necessarily been. been it could be uncharted territory. I know actually, uh, I know Buster Poindexter has touched on it. Uh, David Lee Roth went, went during during that phase as well too. So I know people have touched on it, um, but we're going to take it a little bit further. Mm-hmm. And so Greg said to me after after a gig, he says, "Hey, um, I had this idea that um." Um, I just wonder if you're going to be okay with it. Do you mind if I chart your songs out for eight horns and bring in a bunch of horn players? I just want to ask you first. I'm like, whoa, um, that was my dream. Yeah, and I'm, I, I said, Greg, I mean, please, you, can, can, you think you can do this? He goes, oh yeah, easy. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay. So 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 uh, two weeks later, the next show we had. He starts setting up all these chairs and brings in all these music stands. I had no idea what was going on. Nice. All of a sudden, thrup, thrup, four lines of horn players, four lines of horn players, bass, drums, everyone has sheet music, and I'm playing in front of this orchestra. 
Yeah. Just just like that, which cost, which I couldn't even pay. We, we had no money. It was it was for a free show. And they're all playing all the parts. They're like playing it's the parts, and he had everything all charted out. These these funny little you know musical like I would I would sing something, the band would do something, yeah. I would sing something, the band would do. Something. So it's like we do back and forth, back and forth. You know, kind of how like Sinatra would do. And I, this is amazing. On the first gig, the band ate me up alive because it was eight horns, and I didn't know how to do it. But then uh-huh. I, and I said, oh yeah. I'm going to take you guys on. So I had to become a, a tougher performer. Yeah. I kind of developed this new thing. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Come on, guys. You want to take me on? So you guys have got musical education. You, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. I don't have to do that, too. So I got my thing. You got your thing. It's kind of like, like a New York kind of kind of. So tough. it's like frontman versus the band. Exactly. But, but all, is, all is one thing. Yeah. And now, now it's all totally synergistically, musically That's compatible. Cool. Isn't it funny when you play with musicians that, are, that can read music and do, like, they, they come in there, never, they've never heard it before. They just can just play it. It makes you realize what idiots so many rock musicians are. <laughs> I, I didn't want to say it, and I've gotten in trouble with it from the past, but I can, right? safely, I, can, I can safely say now, this is another groundbreaking moment, and, and p- p- please, please kill me if you must, too. I don't care. <laughs> the worst jazz musician is still better than the best rock musician. I know. It's, there's so idiots. Such morons. Actually, it's, the funny thing is, um, I think my dad sent me this funny thing uh, that he saw it on, on the internet, where the difference between rock and jazz is uh, rock musicians play three chords in front of 50,000 people, Jazz musicians play 50,000 chords in front of three people. Yeah. You, well, you could say the same for classical. It's like uh, mm-hmm. my girlfriend, she plays violin, and uh, mm-hmm. at the same time she's playing in my rock band, and we're rehearsing this song. Come on, it's like six-chord song, rehearsing it over and over and over, trying to get it right. Then the next day she goes into a 47-piece orchestra, and it's like, oh, the lead cellist couldn't make its way of this cellist, and people just going and playing that never even met anything. Just they're just going and they're knocking this crazy, complicated classical piece out, and we can't even get this stupid rock song down. I think you guys can do it. You just, just got to rehearse a couple hundred times. That, 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 that's the thing. It's it's it's, it's the, always the dumb drummers. And actually, I, I you know I, I do I am proficient at piano and guitar, mm-hmm. but after after performing with this band, I don't even play it anymore unless it's like it's like a little joke or something or whatever. Uh-huh. Just, I just can't keep up with them. In fact, a funny story is when we were recording our our rec- our big band record, um, we recorded an eight piece horn section, actually nine piece because we also brought in a a baritone sax as well. So a nine piece horn section. These guys, eight songs or maybe even ten songs, did it in three hours the, right. whole, the whole day, and then it took me several weeks to add the vocals you know, yeah. and, and then and then so i would do i would do the piano along with the band and then famously dave engelhard who's who's also no, another one of our main arrangers putting mm-hmm. all that together i could see him whisper something to, to the engineer and they're like turn him down turn him down me in, in the piano booth it was, it was my band and my songs like turn it we, we don't we don't it's like they just took over yeah your sloppy playing is making the band sound bad yeah because <laughs> i didn't i didn't have proper count offs i'm like one two three four like, that's not how it's done right you don't do one two three four it's uh-huh. this whole sort of one too. Yeah. Because this whole sort of thing, they, they, they took classes on this stuff. Right. They took class, classes on how to do ca- count offs. Mm-hmm. And so they had to bring in another piano player. Yeah. That's humbling <laughs> right there. That, that's, 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 jazz so, is humbling. Seems like there's a few aspects to uh, you and your performing. You've got the music, you've got the performance of it, and then you've got the comedy of it. Have you broke? Have you thought about it like that? And which interests you more? Completely. And out of force to that is the vocal. Uh, histrionics, right? So I right. Like, I want and, I w- and the shoes. That's the fifth. <laughs> that's the fifth. That's yeah. the fifth. And the socks. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Um, without, what go to the shoes without the socks? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I, 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 it, it, that's that's a, it's, it's it is good to break things down categorically as well too. And and the in between song banter, which I, which I guess is, it falls in the comedy uh, yeah. element as well too. Um, I want to become a really good singer. Mm-hmm. I, I want to enter the venue saying, I'm going to sing in a way. That people will say, 
Um, that guy can sing. That guy, that guy's, like, you know, I, so I, I, I warm up vocally now. I take it seriously. Yeah. Um, I, I, I used to be like more of a screecher. You know, I used, mm-hmm. to, I used, to, have, I used to have real problems, actually. It, was, it, was, it would get in the way. Well, your voice would break. I just, I just didn't take it seriously. I, just right. think, I, I was thinking, oh, these chord changes are so good. I don't even have to worry about enunciating or vocalizing. And, and well, that's and, kind of the anti-folk thing. It's it was, like, that's, why, though, that's why I'm, I'm accepted on that scene, you know, because mm-hmm. it's still anti-folk at, at the end of the day. And I, and I am a believer in the anti-folk aesthetic. Yeah. But I'm also a believer in tuning your guitar warming up vocally and looking good on stage and I know a lot of the anti-folkers it's like that's an afterthought and sometimes but, but the thing about the anti-folk thing uh, movement it, it has evolved in that back in the day I think if you came in and looked all stylish and everything they probably wouldn't embrace you although, although anti-folk does they, they've never kicked anyone out so, so it, 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 it is all inclusive <laughs> And I've learned a lot of my aesthetic from Latch and, mm-hmm. and from who's the, the godfather of anti-folk. Uh-huh. Um, and, and, and so, so it, it is all things. And it, we're functioning on a lot of cylinders here. It, it is, it's, it's like with the slideshow, there were three specific things. The songs, the girl on drums, and the visual. All happening one time. Three, three, three. And, and, and three, according to Chris Ballou, the president of the United States of America, yeah. is the magic number. He, he was a, he's a dear friend of mine and was really important mm-hmm. in my growing up as a musician in the 90s. He, he really helped me out in a time when no one else was taking me seriously. Yeah. So you've had this... Oh, go ahead. No, I was just... I I thought Bob Duro said that first. Oh, what did he say? Three is the magic number. Oh, oh, Bob Duro is the, the, um, he, the schoolhouse rock, right? Yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah. Oh, he did good work. He did good work. Uh, Jazz musician as well, what I've heard. Yeah. So, you told me that, I mean, I'm all right, clear my thoughts here. Please. Okay, so... You've had this whole amazing experience, and then you feel like you've been humbled. And now you were, were you mistreating people besides like a, besides feeling a certain way yourself when you were doing really well? Were you bad to people? I, I was. I was definitely a bit. Of, I, I was not interested in other people. Uh-huh. You know, I felt I felt like the world owed me a favor mm-hmm. because of my previous struggle, which which wasn't much. You know, it's just of ten years of playing shows for no one, and I figured I've earned this right. Not not knowing or even considering that there's musicians who go th- through fifty years of playing shows for no one. Well, it's almost like a drug high. It's like you're experiencing that high, and you have all these fans and stuff. And then when you come down, and the audiences stop coming. You have a moment. You have your clarity. It's but, sobering, yeah. Like that's, yeah. That, was, that, was a, that was a fair reference. You know, what, what goes up must come down. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like a person that's drunk or high. Then all of a sudden, things they get sober, and a lot of times they realize, oh, they were kind of a jerk at the time that they were high, and maybe they want to go and apologize to people or something like that. It's very similar. That's a perfect uh, comparison. Mm-hmm. Um, fame is a drug. You know, and, and, and it's addictive, and you just want more and more and more of it. You know, or money, and you just you're never satisfied with, with, mm-hmm. with anything. And then when it goes away, it's like then then, then that's the time to really. So, you know, if, if well, the, the applause uh, is the rush, and then when the applause dies down, yeah. you're like, oh no, where's my fix? Or, or the, the wave of laughter. Sometimes, sometimes you can tell this, this joke, and you can feel the wave of the laughter go whoosh, whoosh, right? Mm-hmm. You know, like like a bit of a, a bit of a, a title thing. It's like, and it, sometimes some, certain people get it at certain at certain moments. You kind of even feel like where it's going to go, and then does this thing comes back, and then you're yeah. on. It, it, that's a lot of fun, you know, especially and if you're present in the moment and grateful for it. You can really just take in the laughter and appreciate it. You know, it's kind of a it's kind of a larger life lesson, but like being present and uh, being grateful for things. Yeah, I was totally not grateful for, you for no. Uh-huh. I, I, I expected it to be there. I expected you know to, to always have big gigs coming in, to, to always have business people, uh, you know, giving us you know. Uh, W- w- being interested in our art, mm-hmm. um, you no, know, we never made we never made so much money that like you know we could like st- stop 
and take time off and, and take a vacation. Like we never, never, never would like that, but we didn't really want to anyway. Right. You know, but we could, we could afford to go out to restaurants and take cabs. Uh, no, it's a common thing. Once you're a touring uh, performer, you rarely want to go anywhere and not perform. Right. You right. Know, it's like it feels silly. Yeah, well, why, why, why pay to take a vacation when you can get paid to take a vacation? Mm-hmm. And go there with a purpose. Yeah, yeah. and it's, it's so that, that's, that's, it, was, it was like that as well, too. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I just, just wasn't, wasn't thankful. Um, I, I, I didn't work hard. You know, I, I, didn't, I didn't take singing or musicianship seriously or songwriting mm-hmm. seriously. Well, it was working. You were getting adoration. You were getting success. It's like, why bother, right? Th- that's the thing, and, and, and that's true like, with other you know, successful musicians. It's like, why bother? Mm-hmm. What, 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 everything I'm doing is right. Everyone tells me everything I'm doing is, is, is great. Yeah. You know, why, why, should, why should I change? Well, don't mess with it if it's working. It's precisely. Yeah. And, then, and then if you do mess with it, kind of like maybe what, what you were alluding to with, with the PR people, it's like you have all these business people mm-hmm. whose interest it is in for you to keep doing the same thing. So it's, it's not in their interest for you to change because if you do, then, then, then they might not be making money and maybe, then maybe their kid can't go to the private school, you know? Yeah. Well, I guess you really got to hand it to the Beatles for they kept evolving and pushing. And the, the Beatles are the exception to every single rule. Yeah, right. And you know, as much as people you know like the Stones and like you know like the Kinks and all that kind of stuff, it's like, those guys are just songwriters and yeah. bands. The, the, the Beatles transcended totally. ev- everything. And, and Ray Davies might even be as good a songwriter as John Lennon, right? He might even has, have been. He, he touched some very rarefied air, um, but they're just a band. Mm-hmm. I, I think the other thing with the Beatles is it's hard to forget that they were only making music for what six years or something like that. It seems like so no, much. So ten like, years, ten. They were together for ten years. Ten yeah. well, officially, uh, fifty-eight. Actually, twelve. Twelve years. Yeah, they started right, fifty-eight. Right, right. Okay, you okay. Can, okay. You actually, can edit actually, that comment out. I guess I don't know. It, it was a, mil- like a, mil- years. a million years. Actually, I mean, you know, but they they were even even as of sixty though they were already something was already brewing right, and by sixty-two. Yeah. It was, it was, it, you know, when there was, you know, the lunchtime cl- crowds at the, ham- at the Cavern Club and all that. And then by, by 63, it was, it was golden. But, but, and then at that point, but, but it was, and it's just, they just didn't stop. Everything they did yeah. was importantly artistic. And, and they did, and they did what I, what I was talking no backwards progress, with the exception of the Magical Mystery Tour film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> there's always a mis- couple of missteps yeah. with everything. And, and, and I, know, I know this is going get to me, get me uh, in trouble. I'm not a big fan of the White Album. I, I, that, I, that's a whole other podcast. Okay, fine, <laughs> fine. We'll go to the White Special Album next edition. Time. But 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 they went out on the highest note possible, which was Abbey Road, which is right. a masterpiece. Yeah, and they did that on purpose. But yeah. <laughs> so, you know, they say hindsight is twenty twenty, right? And when I when I look back and think about it, I realize that's true. But <laughs> <laughs> zing. The, the, the takeaway message of the podcast, the, the pull away message from the show, folks. <laughs> so if you can go back. If you can go back and, and ride to the beginning, the height of your uh, success, sold-out shows, and if you could do all of that again with this new wisdom, what would you do differently? I would go to bed earlier mm-hmm. and wake up earlier. I would start every day with a mindful meditation. Mm. I would start every day with a thankfulness for, 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 for everything that we have going on at that moment. Oh, we're playing in Spain or, you know, oh, oh, you know, we have, we have a, a big show tonight in London or, oh, you know, uh, upcoming, there's, there's, a, there's something coming up in the future. And, and, and also a thank for the past. I'm, I'm, I'm so thankful. I had that 10 years of struggle mm-hmm. uh, to get to, to get to the year 2000 back then. I'm so thankful to, to my wife for, for, you know, for being so selfless in, in, in her commitment. And, and of course to our, our daughter for just, just, Going along with with everything that 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 that, that is expected of her. Yeah, um, I never never thought about any of that stuff. I'm so thankful for for all these everyone who's comes comes out to our show. I never thought about that at one one time. Now, just um, to play devil's advocate, with all this gratitude, 
you feel you're grateful you're playing in Spain people are coming to your show you're in Spain without that gratitude doesn't it kind of make you want to keep going for more bigger and better and progress and progress and progress does that gratitude kind of put a damper on that no it just I think I'll just do it better this time Mm-hmm. I, hopefully we'll have a second chance. I mean, we, we do have a second chance, but, but hopefully a second chance with the traction, right? right. My, my latest projects have not had that traction. Uh, we have, uh, you know, if, if 10 or 15 people come onto our shows, mm-hmm. just to see a band who's 10 or 15, has 10 or 15 members in it, <laughs> um, that, that, that's, that's a good night. Right. Uh, we haven't gotten any press. Yeah. Uh, I wrote a new musical as well called Dr. Glassheart. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, you know, we, we don't have a theater to put it in yet. It's a full-on hour-and-a-half musical, fully orchestrated. I have a cast of downtown Lower East Side luminaries, including uh, Mike Amato, Joe Crow Ryan, uh, Miss Stephanie, and Andrew Hoffner. These are all you know, w- well-known and loved uh, figures on the da- downtown scene, m- myself included. Uh, it's hilarious. Um, the-, the phone's not ringing. You know, I- every day I send out emails to different... Uh, e- emails away of communicating right now, in case you're listening to this in, in the year 30, 30. <laughs> okay. so I send out emails to different theaters, to different uh, producers, and I'm lucky if I get a, a thanks for your interest uh, I can't right now. I'm lucky if I get one of those. Usually yeah. there's no response. Oh, yeah. I, I have to question where in music business school or where in entertainment school they, they taught you that it's, it's appropriate not to even respond to an email. Uh, it's you know? something we've had to get used to. I think email really started that and just everyone's just, in, in, just there's too much of everything. People I was bombarded re- with stuff. I so always respond, not though. At least just respond. At least, at least have a form letter, you know, and an an, not an out-of-office, but just an, out of, <sighs> an out-of-feeling response, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm out-of-feeling and caring right now. My, my slate is full, but thank you for writing. Even if it's an auto-response, that's, that's the way that uh, I would be okay you, you with that. You know why? Why? Because once you do that, you're engaging the person, and then if you're saying no to them, then they'll write back, why not? Or, hey, just checking in, doodly doodly do. Mm-hmm. They just don't want it. Yeah. yeah. They're no not interested. No response is a no. But check your spam folder. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I, I've, I've missed opportunities. I gotta, I'm not going to say otherwise. I, I missed some big gigs by not checking my email. Absolutely. I almost, we got a European uh, booking agent that was in my oh, spam folder. Fuck. And that sorry, led to us. No, you can curse okay, all you want. First that, curse. Okay, sorry. That led, to, like, that led to us touring Europe four times. It's amazing. Wow. It was I, in my freaking spam folder. Guess what I'm going to do when I go home. I haven't checked that thing. <laughs> and, I, and I have Yahoo, too. So that's, it's, it's a, that's totally questionable uh, internet. Yeah. Damn. For, for those listening in 2015, <laughs> Yahoo used to be in <laughs> Hey, oh. Nice. I feel like we covered a lot. I feel like you're at a very cool place to do this interview. I, I, I am. And I, and I, I thank you for 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 being, letting me talk about myself because uh, you know as as as, as well rounded and as, as humbling as I've been, I still am. Uh, I still who doesn't like talking about themselves? Yeah, you know? it's everyone own everyone's mm-hmm. own favorite subject. <laughs> <laughs> I like the Green Party too. <laughs> yeah, we're trying to stay away from politics. Oh, so, I guess it was the Green Party. <laughs> You guys started where you met at a at a Bernie Sanders. Yeah, right. So I think you, it's all it, 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 on the table. Yeah, it all yeah. makes sense. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for coming here and uh, hanging out with us. Thank you, Gary. Thank you, Matt. My pleasure. Thank you. (laughs) Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, 
about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Albert styles. Meet the Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely their fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Try the Superlight Tree Runner with a cushy foam midsole and breathable eucalyptus fiber upper. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. So, what can you do in a Superlight shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24.